So dad, he had a trust. And basically, mother didn't like the terms of it. In, in many other families, when money is involved, people start cutting each other's throats. If the court orders me to give this money back, I will do so. You mean, again, this attorney went from a $150,000 townhome prior to knowing mom uh, to a million and a half dollar mansion. Showing an unsigned means the dad never signed the trust. And that trust, the 2013 trust, made mom sole trustee. So without dad's signature, what does mom have? She has nothing. And in the last 10 years, including a couple years of the worst market ever, she not just doubled, not tripled, not quadrupled, not quintupled. She's six times. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, In her 70s. In her 70s with with no training. On the right is my father's alleged signature. On the trust, again, dated the same day, August 5th, 2013. Hey, this is Matt Cox, and I am here with John Smith. That's his real name. And we're going to be talking about family fraud, uh, also the name of of uh, John Smith's book. Uh, it's an interesting story. I've spoken with him for hours about the story. Uh, we first started talking a, a few weeks ago and essentially it's the, the it, it's, it's the dispute or, or is in John's, you know, the way John puts it, basically it's the theft of a $30 million uh, inheritance and the IRS IRS is unwillingness to look into it or the authorities unwillingness to look into it and it's a it's an interesting story and so we're going to get into it so check it out you live in orlando you came over here from orlando and we talked a few weeks ago we you approached me a few weeks ago and um you've got a a, there was a, a video online where you break it all down and so I watched a portion of that video, then we ended up talking on the phone, and then that's how we ended up uh, getting here. And so the crux of the story, real quick, just to let people know like what they're getting into, is that uh, your father had an, uh, had an estate worth roughly, according to your mother, roughly $30 million. Correct. She told you that it was worth $30 million. Yes. Then your father's will suddenly changed. His trust. His, sorry, his trust changed. A few weeks before his death, 16 days before he died. Right. So it changed um, unexpectedly. And your mother suddenly valued the estate at to the IRS uh, $8 million. And then essentially um, made made a bunch of changes to the trust and has since. I mean, I know this is a a very. choppy version of the story and basically there's been a dispute between you and your mom initially it was you your mom and your your whole family My entire right? family family the entire yeah. family and then essentially your mom saying look this whole estate's eight million and it's it's all mine and she's but she's somehow managed to spend what 14 15 million it's a miracle right and she still has 10 or 11 million dollars it's another miracle right so has a ton of money left so obviously the estate was never worth the 8 million she told the irs it was always worth at least 30 the, roughly the 30 million dollars that she had always said it was worth um and then but there have been these really and i hate to say comical um 
it's almost like it could be a, a like a, a like a movie, like a comical movie. Like it could be a satiric kind of a movie just in. It would make it, a great it, like, documentary. I was, I was going to say like an like an Adam Sandler uh, movie, but where basically it's 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 outrageous. The kinds of I mean, it's horrible from your perspective. I understand, and I'm I'm sorry to make light. No, of it, it, but, it it is kind of funny, but it's it's outrageous the amount of kind of corruption that appears to be in all of these transactions that go back and forth. And the problem is that you're trying to get relief through the courts which are not really set up to help anybody, especially at the expense or to go against um, a member of the court, you know, like a, a, the other lawyer. So if a lawyer says, if a lawyer lies, a lawyer lie, yeah, if a lawyer when lies, about a lawyer something, lies, right? right. So if a lawyer lies about something and yes. says, this is the way it is, your honor, the, the judge typically says, okay, well, this is a, this is a, a member of the court. So we, we're going to go with his opinion, regardless of the fact that you're going, yeah, but your honor, I have this proof and this proof and this proof. Yeah, I know. But this lawyer just said that's not true. And, I, and to disregard that. And so the courts have essentially are disregarding all of the proof and you're not getting any, you haven't gotten any help from the courts. You're not getting any help from law enforcement. You're not getting any help from the IRS, even though it's over, even though the evidence appears to be overwhelming in your defense. So with that said, that's essentially what we're going to get into. Right. But what I would like to do is kind of start at the beginning, which is, um, where were you born? I was born in Iowa of okay. all places, Bettendorf, Iowa. Right. Uh, and when I was an infant, my, uh, you know, it, my parents were high school sweethearts, Etc. So it wasn't like my father divorced my original mother and married a trophy wife, and that trophy wife right. stole his thirty million. First marriage for both, first and only. They were married forty-seven years. Um, so uh, I grew up outside Chicago. Okay, you know, and I was just a a normal kid. Although I couldn't fit in high school. The high school I went to is called Bennett Academy. It's in Lyle. Do you know Chicago at all? No. So it's in a Western suburb. It's a Jesuit high school. You had to wear a uniform. It was the kind of high school you have to take an entrance exam to get into. Right. And I got almost 100. So my my parents were like, oh, smart kid. He won't have any uh, trouble. But then... I didn't understand the the dynamic of being a student. And the dynamic of being a student is it's not cool to ask questions. It's right. not cool to try and learn, right? I was totally... And then, you know, my mother was dressing me. And so, like, one day I wore this red and white checkerboard shirt and all the kids were like, hey, Farmer John. And, right. you know, so it's a, it's a tough time being 14, 15. You just want kids to like you. And I didn't fit in. So what happened, and I learned later through counseling, I was trying to get attention. And I couldn't get any positive attention. Right. So I sought negative attention. And what can a good, smart kid do? He can fail. Right. You get a lot of negative attention. So I started flunking all my classes. My parents couldn't figure it out. So my sophomore year, I was in danger of having to repeat my entire year. So they sent me to a school for underachievers in Connecticut. 
And there they teach very slowly. Right. But I was able to get A's and B's. And During not trying at all. Not trying at all, but they made you study and they teach you so slowly. Um, but I didn't want to go back. The kids there smoked. And then, you know, six months later, I started smoking. Right. Um, you know, kids drank. Kids would talk about doing acid. I didn't know what that was. You know, they're going to pour acid on their hands, you know? Right. Wouldn't that hurt? Um, so that summer uh, in the Chicago Tribune, there was a uh, Chicago Magazine article about this really cool military high school where you live there outside uh, Milwaukee. And so I... Uh, uh, my parents took me up for a, a, you know, fam trip, familiarization trip. Right. And that's where I decided to uh, finish my high school. In so, military school. In military school. Look, uh, my high school, St. John's Military Academy, um, is in Delphi, Wisconsin. The campus is cool. Maybe you can uh, flash up uh, uh, some stills of the campus. It looks like a Gothic castle. All the built maybe Gothic's the wrong word, but all the buildings are. Uh, it's like a fortress, right? And it's a really cool campus. From a distance, the military looks really cool. Uh, when you're there, <laughs> you know it, it was kids your own age. You know, and this was the lesson: is that kids your own age had power over you, and you could either rebel, but that didn't last long. You know, you'd have to eat square corners. You know. You know, it plates here, lift, you know, it's hard to do with this mic, but, you know, up this, and, and you'd walk square corners. And it's part of the way they, as a kid, they make you more or less worthless. And then they build you up. Uh, and so, you know, after the first four months, it's yes, sir, no, sir, even to your parents. And so it, uh, and again, they teach you to study. They make you study, and there's punishment if you don't study. So it's right. easy to get good grades. But that weaned me. Uh, I learned that I like making decisions. And so I didn't want to go back. You know, I didn't want to go into the military. And so I went uh, that summer, I went to the University of Iowa. Now, why Iowa? It's a pretty campus. Right. Um, and the University of Iowa at the time, here's a little um, use trivia for you. I like to read. I think we both like to read. Right. And have you ever uh, read the book First Blood? The, the Rambo. The, the, that Rambo movie? Rambo, right. No, right. I've never read the, the book, but right. I saw the movie. All right. So the book is written by a guy named David Morell, M-O-R-R-E-L-L. -L. And uh, he lived in Iowa City. Okay. And uh, so First first Blood was his Rambo book, uh, Rambo series. Um, but then he also wrote uh, Brotherhood of the Rose, Fraternity of the Stone. Both were made into miniseries in the 1980s. I read Brotherhood of the Rose, no, Fraternity of the Stone. And at the end of it, it says, David Morrell lives in Iowa City. So I was like, I wonder if he's in a directory. He was. Right. Picked up phone, called him. He talked to me. Right. It was the coolest thing. So, I mean, uh, but... At the University of Iowa, uh, phone calls to David Morrell aside, um, I uh, they they had a shortage of dorm rooms, so they piled for the fall semester. They piled like twenty kids on every every um, the residence halls, 
it was a high rise right in iowa city so it was like 20 floors or 10 floors whatever and on every floor there was a lounge so they piled like 10 bunk beds in the lounge and then that's where i spent my freshman year um and the problem was you know one light switch 20 kids so freshmen come in drunk at two in the morning flip on the light switch it was impossible to get any sleep and i started missing classes so it became go to class get a d or don't go to class get a d Hmm. right so i started not going to class i flunked out right so flash forward to december you know growing up my father had a he had a little bit of the crazy in him you didn't want to get him mad right his whole face would get mad i mean uh, his whole face would get red and he just i i remember my mother growing up said if your father ever strikes you you let him win and i was like no problem he's gonna win anyways he's bigger than me um so i just remember being 18 like cringing what am i going to tell dad what what logical reason could i tell him that i flunked out of the university of iowa school he paid for right and so i came home and uh ironically he had received word that his company was transferring him to the philippines so he wasn't that pissed he was like uh Okay, well, you got two choices. You can either go out on your own or join the military. And I was like, well, I just spent two years at a military high school. Don't want to do that. If I go out on my own, where should I move to? And he goes, how about Orlando? And to be 18, and he said, you know, get a job at Disney World. So to, to be 18 on your own, Disney World, I I mean, it was checking a lot of boxes. Right. So that's what I did. Okay. I moved down and, you know, my whole life, I've always been an incredibly hard worker. You know, my parents encouraged that when I was a kid. And I've had, you know, people I look up to this day, they have a great work ethic. And so I got one job at Disney World as a busboy. And then I got another job at a hotel nearby as a busboy. And I would work... 80 hours a week, sometimes 90. Um, didn't have a car, didn't have a girlfriend. I worked. And here's the crazy thing. And I can't believe I did this, but I did it. I never got hit. So I lived in this apartment complex that's not there anymore. It's called Lake Vista Village. It was on one side of Lake Buena Vista. So everyone that lives in Orlando, um, uh, Lake Vista Village right across from Disney Village. Yeah. Well, I could either get to Disney Village by riding riding my bicycle down a Popkin Island Road and be exposed to traffic that's going to kill me at 50 miles an hour. Right. Or I could jaywalk across I-4, and that's what I did. Right. In the daytime and then at night. So run across, you know, imagine running across the eastbound lanes, standing yeah, yeah. in the median. There's what, four lanes going both ways? Six, Is, three lanes going one way, three so lanes six going total. at yeah. 70 miles an hour. Yeah, it'd be fine. <laughs> yeah, so I never got hit. Right. The craziest thing was <laughs> no doing shit. it. No shit. You know? 
<laughs> we would know. Uh, you know. You'd be somebody. I'd be talking to somebody else right now. Uh, yeah. So At seventy miles an hour. <laughs> but but I, I rationalized that I was like. Uh, you know, 20 minutes at 50 miles an hour, I'm still dead. 20 seconds at 70 miles an hour, I'll take the 20 seconds, less right. risk. You know, so I worked at Disney a couple years, and then uh, in the early 90s, I started a house cleaning business, and I was the business. Yeah. You know, so, I, you know, I in my whole life, I've never been arrested. Um, I've always worked. But, you know, on paper, I'm a college dropout. Right. For the last 20 years, I've had a business. Uh, you can Google it. We're on Shark Tank. Uh, it's called Storm Stoppers. So, so would you let, let me talk about the Shark Tank thing real yep. quick. Sorry. Um, so you were doing the, you were running a house cleaning business. Did you have any employees? No employees. And one day I got tired of selling a service because then when you sell a service, you got to go and perform it. And I was the service. Um, But it taught me to live frugally on nothing. Right. But at that point, when did you jump to, you know, storm? uh, Storm stoppers. So there was a business in the intervening time. One day in the the house cleaning days, I looked over at a car next to me in traffic and it was probably a Gator, Gator, Seminole, you know, Florida Gator, Seminole. Yeah. And it had these car flags on the windows and it had the antenna topper and magnets, you know, like rah, rah, it's football season. But I noticed the wheels were blank. And so I was like, you know, if you take, I don't know, a piece of plastic and you put a college logo on it and then you find a way to attach the plastic to the wheel you'd have a business. So I said about inventing, I didn't have a background, but I just had this, I'm tired of selling a service. I want to sell a product because the vision is you sell a product, you deliver the product, you're done. Yeah. Um, And so I invented a product called Clever Covers. So it was made of plastic and it was uh, used a faster known as Dual Lock. It's made by 3M. And I had uh, to prove that it would stay on a wheel on on a highway speeds, I took a set out to Disney's racetrack. At the time, they had the Richard Petty driving experience. Yeah. I don't I know if you're that. a NASCAR fan. No, my dad did it. My, my dad went. Did, did he drive? Yeah, or? He, he got to drive a, a, you know, they let you like with an instructor or something. They actually did you go you. out there with him? No, I didn't. Uh, but, you know, it was for like a birthday present given to him by my sister. That it's a, it's a really cool. And my rationale was, and then if it could stay on those. If it can stay on on the driving on the track at 140 miles an hour, right. it'll stay on an 80. And I just lucked out. It was kind of a ballsy request because I was like, "You guys got to warm up the cars anyway." So, right. could I put a set on and you warm up the cars? And um, the day I went out there, the owner of the Richard Petty Driving Experience, whose name escapes me, um, happened to be there and maybe liked me and liked my hootspa, right? And said, "Okay." The only thing he said was no pictures right. because at the time they had a, a Dale Earnhardt number three race car and they didn't want. Yeah. Yeah. You, they like they were promoting it. Right. Right. Uh, and thankfully, I, I didn't take any more pictures after he said no pictures. I had taken some pictures beforehand to prove I was there. Right. But when he said no pictures, you stopped. From that point on, it was clear, no pictures afterwards, and I wasn't going to argue. Right. Yeah. So, um, they stayed on. Did about eight, ten laps. 
uh, and I got the pictures to prove it. So for the next eight years, um, I sold those wheel covers. How did that end up Shark Tank? Uh, well, so in the fall of 04. Just after you did the Richard Petty thing or when you were just thinking? Oh, about the it? Richard Petty thing was like in 2000. No, it was in 96. Okay. And so for eight years, I sold that product. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, I, I had a bunch of collegiate licenses that my father had helped me get because um, it was a capital intensive business i didn't have any money look until storm stoppers i never made any i never made any money right i mean i i i'm used to living on twenty thousand a year right that's paying my own rent um you know my own gas etc i've struggled my whole life um until storm stoppers so in the fall of 04 um we had four hurricanes hit the state uh Charlie was the first one. I don't know if you were living in. Yeah. Yep. I was living in Tampa, Florida. Yeah. Do you remember Hurricane Charlie? Um, and this was when? 08? No, uh, 2004. 2004. So it was like was, Friday no, the 13th, August no. 13th. I'd taken off by then. I was on the run by then. But yeah, huh. uh, but yeah, I do remember. I mean, yeah, I've been lived in Florida most of my life. There's always hurricanes every year or two. There's yeah, so Charlie was a Cat 4 hurricane. It came ashore in Punta Gorda and then it traversed the state. Uh, I remember it knocked out power in Orlando for a week. It uprooted tree. I mean, they, they had these big trees and you would see that the grass under them would peel back and the tree would fall over, yeah. leaving this, you know, I don't know, six yeah. by six hulk of grass. So when that hurricane was approaching, everyone was scrambling. And I was in this business that happened to use corrugated plastic and a 3M fastener that most people are going to think is Velcro. Right. And you couldn't get plywood. They were, they were like on the local TV station saying, oh, uh, the local Home Depot just got a truckload. And it would sell out in 10 minutes. Right. So myself and my then girlfriend uh, thought, what the hell? Let, let's use what we have. Right. And it worked. I mean, it worked. It was thin, corrugated plastic, eighth inch thick, which uh, you would see as a real estate sign. Yeah. You know, they called it... Uh, Corrugated plastic, same yeah. stuff as real estate. It was flimsy, you know, you cut with the scissors, et cetera, but it worked. And then another storm was approaching and uh, I approached the local TV station and said, hey, I got this plywood alternative. And, and even though I don't stockpile pallets and pallets of it, because I'm a little guy, plastic companies all over the state have pallets of this stuff. You ought right. to be directing your your viewers to go buy it. And they interviewed me on my on my step on my, at my house and said, "Wow, this plot." And they used the brand that that we are plywood alternative, and that kind of created a huge industry, and it's kind of grown from there. So, uh, Shark Tank was 2014. So, ten years after creating inventing Storm Stoppers. Uh, they called you, you called them. No, for years I had been trying to get on. So to get on Shark Tank, now it's a little bit different. Now they're in their season 14. I'm in season six. And now you'll hear about entrepreneurs where they actually, hello, is this Joe Blow? Yes, this is Celenta from Shark Tank. We'd like you to come. I mean, how can you be so lucky as to yeah. be recruited, right? Um, but I had to film a video and they liked my video. 
Um, and then I caught a really lucky break. Right. What was that? Well, one of my ideas to get on Shark Tank was I was going to hire a former quarterback to throw footballs at my storm stoppers on the set, you know? (laughs) Okay. And so I joined a bunch of retired NFL players associations and anyone can join them. Right. And, um, you know, I reached out to like Brett Favre, you know, he wanted a private jet and, you know, I don't know, a 20 grand fee. And I was like, if I had that, why would I go on Shark Tank? Donovan McNabb, um, probably like 40 or 50 uh, second tier quarterbacks. Good right. name brand, you know, but I mean, Brett was probably the, the most elite, but guys that I thought I could get. And in, in doing that, I made contact with a lady named Karen Conrad, and she was the president of the Kansas City Chiefs uh, NFL Retired Players Association. Okay. And so I had cultivated this relationship with her and um, she liked me, I think. And one day, sometime in the fall of 2013, she said, long story short, I have the cell number of one of the Shark Tank producers and I'll text it to you. So I had this number for like three months and I knew I could only call him once. Right. And make a pitch. And I knew he wouldn't answer. And so I was driving. I was working in Louisiana. I'll never forget. I was so nervous. At the time, I had my little Bluetooth around my ear. And I set it in my cup holder in my rental vehicle that was full of water. That's how nervous I was about calling this guy. Because I knew, you know, it was like the money shot in, in pool. Right. I got one shot. And like I thought... About a minute later, the phone rings and it's his assistant saying, so-and-so likes you and wants you to shoot a video. And it kind of grew from there. So had Karen Conrad from the Kansas City Chiefs not given me my lucky break, I would have never gotten on Shark Tank. Nice. Yeah. Did you get any money? Did they make any offer or no? I didn't even get an offer. They they all praise Stormstoppers, but they I I spoke to Lori for the longest time and she kept saying she could get us into Home Depot. And I kept saying that'd be a mistake. And she was like, "Why? You know, no one ever says that's a mistake." You know, big box stores, they have a they make entrepreneurs sign this contract that says guaranteed sale. And the way it works is sure they'll buy a huge amount, but the guaranteed sale says whatever they don't sell after 3 or 6 months you have to buy back. Right. I was like, that's screwy. They buy it, they own it. And then the other thing that's really screwy about the big box stores is they, they make a big stink about, oh, you're, you're in Home Depot. But then they slow pay you. Right. They'll buy this big order that you have to then finance and they pay you in 90 days, 120 days, and they have all these restrictive language in their contract. I'm like, screw that. Yeah, I had heard that about um, Walmart, that Walmart will practically bankrupt you, slowly putting yep. putting off, like, they don't pay you for, like, 90 days. And, and they're a billion-dollar company. If right. anyone has the money to so, pay you, them. Right, so you have to go out and you have to finance, you know, whatever, several million dollars worth of products to fund all their stores. And then and if it, and then they have to sell that. And then if they, if they decide to put your product in a shitty area of the store, you don't get the sales. And then you're stuck with, 
okay, well, I didn't get any sales, but you also stuck me in the back far corner. You didn't put up my, you know, you didn't, you didn't advertise it. You didn't do some of the things you were going to do and you can't fight Walmart. And then they send you half the money that you should have gotten. And you now have financed these, you've got this massive payment. And yeah, I knew a guy that, uh, well, I knew a guy that knew a guy that was, um, providing uh like t-shirts for for walmart for something and he did it for like three years or something and he said he was just he said i was just sick to my stomach every single every you know every quarter it was it was it was horrible and then he said finally one day something happened and the check came in for almost nothing and he went he had to go bankrupt he's like like i thought he's like what i had always prayed for was to get into walmart i then got in he's like and it ruined my business it just destroyed him. Well, and, and the thing is, uh, my pitch to the Sharks was, look, we sell direct. It's kind of worked out for Amazon. Right. It's worked out for Dell Computer, right? But the Sharks, I think, were like, you know, when they get a big order, and they're busy. And whenever you hear this, the Sharks invest their own money, blah, blah, blah. Here's where that comes from, in my opinion. So... Each episode, at first, there's two taping um, weeks. There's one like in June and then one in September. Um, so Shark Tank flies entrepreneurs out in June and September. So there's maybe 10 days and it's a typical day. We'll see anywhere from four to seven entrepreneurs. Well, the sharks get paid per episode. So... Let's say they get paid 50 grand an episode. And let's say a given day, they have a minimum of three to four episodes and a max of, say, six, right? So a minimum three episodes times 50 grand yeah, as their yeah, fee, yeah. 150 grand as their kitty that day, up to a max of, say, 300. So when it's like the sharks invest their own money, they're getting paid 200 grand that day. Right. Right. So let's say they make an offer of 80 grand. Eh, they're not out of anything. It comes out of their feet in my right. opinion. So, uh, um, uh, so there's two tapings, uh, and, uh, also they test you. A lot of thing. a lot of people don't know to, to get flown out there. They, by the time I, I flew out there in early June of 2014, I'm season six. Now they're in season 14. And Swarm Stoppers, if you Google it, we're on the most re-aired episode in history. It's called the 100th episode. I don't know how, I, you know, as dad used to say, I'd rather be lucky than good. Yeah. Because um, the 100th episode, they sit around afterwards and they have a big cake. Uh, anyone that because, you know, people don't know where Stormstoppers is. We're first on the 100th episode, but that's the episode with Squatty Potty. So if you've ever seen Squatty Potty, you've missed us, you know, because they're third, we're first. Right. Right. And the greatest thing was they chose us. You know, we may not have gotten an offer, but what a great honor. I, I can't. And, and the Sharks, although Mark Cuban was a bit of a jerk, but or, he is a bit of a jerk. Or so. a big jerk. Yeah. Right? That's his um, thing. He was, he, look, he praised Stormstoppers. You know, I, I have an iPhone here, right? Right. And uh, have you read anything about Steve Jobs? 
have I read anything about? Yeah. Steve Jobs? I've, I've was heard. he a nice person? No, he was a horrible person. Yeah, but are you buying <laughs> he his He admitted his, he was a horrible person. Right, but you're buying an iPhone. You're yeah. not buying, you know, the sharks are like, oh, I really liked the entrepreneur. You know, when you buy Coke stock, you're not buying the backstory no. of the CEO. You're buying what the product does. I was going to say, typically, the, the problem is with people, especially nowadays, they want you to be sweet and nice and wonderful. But the truth is, is that... The guy that gets things done is typically not the nice, sweet, wonderful, caring person. He's probably a narcissistic prick that pushes everybody that nobody really likes, but he's also the guy that gets things done. How dare you talk yeah. about Mark Cuban and call him narcissistic? <laughs> but that's, you know, yeah. Or listen, um, uh, Steve Jobs, like, uh, I don't know if you, um, I forget the name of the guy's names, like Isaac. Yeah, Walter Isaacson. Is wrote his, yeah, yeah. Wrote I read, his, you know, it's about this thick. It is thick. Yeah. I read it in, in prison. Yeah. Listen, does not paint him. Did you like it? I thought it was great. I mean, yeah. I thought it was too long, and I thought it was, they were, they were, it was just, but he was also an amazing person and deserved that, that, that much coverage. But, and look, what was great about Steve Jobs was toward the end of his life when he convinced him, he wanted him to write his book, and he, he had a conversation with him. He's like, look, you're not micromanaging this. Like if I write it, like any brutal things that people say, it's going to be what it is. And he was like, I'm totally okay with that. And so Mark, so I mean, Mark, sorry, but so Steve jobs was okay with being, he, he knew I'm, I'm a prick. He's, he was okay with being presented that way. So when I read that book and people said nasty things, and he also had a ton of people that said amazing things about him. And he was clearly an amazing person, you know, even though it always to this day will bother me that he didn't take a lot of showers when he was, you know, uh, at, you see at, pictures of his house that horrible. had no furniture. Yeah. He was, he was, you know, eccentric. Yeah. Listen, but those, all of those guys are, you know, the, all of them end up being, you know, well, nut jobs. Bill, Bill Gates isn't he, Bill Gates, is Steve Ballmer isn't they're all fucking jerk offs. Are you kidding me? Steve, Steve job. I mean, I mean, um, Bill, Sorry, Bill, uh, Bill Gates. Gates is a horrible human being. I would, I would disagree. I, <laughs> I would, Why? I remember my father. Uh, my father's company was called Anderson Consulting, and he used to tell stories of they would do a consulting project with Microsoft. Okay. And so, Dad was in the room with Bill Gates and Steve Ballmer. Uh, Steve Ballmer, that name may not be familiar to you. He was Bill Gates, more or less right-hand man. It's kind of like at, at um, Google. I, I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly. Google, the CEO now is a guy named Eric Schmidt. The founders are Larry and Sergey. Sergey Brin and Larry, whose name, uh, last name escapes me. But back to dad, he would talk about Steve Ballmer. He was the former or current owner of the of the... Either the LA, I think it's the LA Clippers, the one uh, he bought, Donald Sterling, I don't know if you remember that name, he was kind of like a, a, a racist uh, NBA owner, and they kicked yeah. him out. And he owned a ton of real estate in New York and slums. and Right, yeah. and he was just kind of an awful person. Steve Ballmer bought his share. I think it's the Clippers, it might, uh, it's the Clippers because uh, Phil Knight, uh, no, 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 no. Another uh, tech person bought the Portland Trailblazers. Uh, and anyways, dad would talk about being in a room with Bill Gates and Steve Ballmer. And he would be like, you know, B 
Bill had this kind of whiny voice and Steve Ballmer was the real decision maker. He was like, you know, you know, Bill would start whining about something. I mean, this dad's pair. I never met Bill Gates. Right. And then Steve Ballmer would be like, look, here's what we're going to do. And Steve Ballmer's a big authoritative guy. He's bald. Uh, he, in that regard, he's like my mom's uh, main attorney, Kenny Kemp. Um, but anyways, dad would tell stories. And so I, I wouldn't um, shortchange Bill Gates. Dad was always really kind of complimentary of the two of them to build a company like that. You gotta be, you can't be ruthless like Steve Jobs. I think that's what it takes to build a company like that is probably being ruthless. I mean, Bill Gates was ruthless. He would buy out competitors. He would he would uh, would threaten small uh, vendors that they, it, he wanted a piece of everything that they sold. Like he had a bunch of tactics that he performed that were in unethical um he you know there was lots of things that he did uh going in and getting the um well the greatest thing he did what get uh microsoft stealing the the operating system the operating system from they, microsoft. they didn't like, steal it well, they, they he was just strategic yeah so i mean so to say like just because you're polite and friendly in person doesn't mean that you're not you well, know, Bill Gates at screwing least screwing people on the side, I, you know. No, Microsoft takes look. My sister, my youngest sister Casey, works or worked at Microsoft. Microsoft takes care of their staff, or maybe takes care of executives like Casey. Um, so, I would say that uh, unless we know. Uh, particulars steve jobs had a reputation but anything written about bill gates and steve ballmer does not portray them in a negative light steve jobs on the other hand uh, you and i both read or, the book it was mean to waiters or maybe maybe bill gates is just got a an easier or got a, a heavier thumb on what his uh, on the censors how, yeah right. on the censors and how he's how he is um portrayed in the media if you go into russia right now 90 percent of the citizens will tell you putin's a wonderful human being well yes you get that reputation when you're in 100 percent control of the media like so i'm sure it's like but you know it doesn't matter we don't have to all agree it's you know maybe maybe he's a wonderful person um so what so anyway <laughs> so what's next yeah yeah so so um so storm we were last on storm stoppers and shark tank no i didn't get an offer i spoke to Lori for the longest time but the coolest thing was when i walked out and i didn't see this till it actually aired um she turns to robert and she goes it's a really smart product and robert goes i'm with you Lori." And then they pan over to Mark Cuban, who didn't like me. Right. You know, he met me, knew me an hour, and he had his mind made up. You, you know, it's funny. It's funny how how many people it's crucial to them that the person that they're working with, they like. It really, it, and, and that always amazes me. Like, to me, I don't care if I hate your guts. I don't care if you hate my guts. If you can get it done then that's it. I'll put my pride aside. You know what I'm saying? But there are so many people that like, oh, no, no. Well, I don't like the way he talked to me or I don't like the Like, well, so what? 
he's got this. He can do this. He's good at it. He can get this. He can actually, he can actually execute it. Like, I don't have to like this fucking guy. We're not going to dinner. We're not friends. And I don't mean you. I just mean in general, anybody in general. But so many people nowadays like, oh, well, he needs to be a nice person and he needs to do this. He needs to give the right charities. And he, we need to have the same. We need to have the same uh, uh, values. And we, what what delusional world are you looking? Are you living in? Like, that's that's just because society is so fucking soft now. Well, and I think something that that my father stood for uh, that when I hire someone or someone I want to do business with, I have to be able to trust them. Right. Being able to trust, you know what the best uh, uh, agreement is? A handshake, right? Right. Looking in someone eye, uh, someone, someone's eyes, um, so often, if you can't, you know, like when I hire contractors, do I care if they're licensed by the city or state? No. I care they show up on time. I care they do good work. But if someone does a shitty job at my house or a business and they're licensed, the license doesn't protect me. Right. So um, their work, if they were a referral, that counts more to me uh, than most people. Not that I would ever admit to hiring unlicensed people or uh, technically, you know, in the Stormstopper realm, uh, whenever you buy plywood at Home Depot, right. you're required to get a permit. But every county uh, yeah, in nobody Florida, enforces that. they don't enforce it, right? If you change your faucet, you're supposed to get a permit. If you change your toilet, you're supposed to get a, get a, get a you know, nobody's doing that. Nobody, you know. Um, okay, so, so your did, father. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Good, go ahead. I was going to say, so your father. So what? at what point in time are we right now? So, uh, my father died at the age of 72 in, uh, August 21st, 2013. Right. Of so what? this, he, well, he was a cigar smoker. Um, he died of inoperable liver, uh, cancer. Okay. So he was diagnosed in February of 2013. And that's from cigars or, you know, are you just a contributing factor? You, you don't really know. Like he smoked cigars his whole life. Myself, I don't smoke. I don't, I don't drink. Right. Um, uh, who knows? You know, after the age of 70, you know, thing, one of the things that I, that I find really interesting about you, Matt, I've read your book. Okay. I, I highly recommend anyone that wants a good read i just finished it not sound like i'm sucking up to you but right. it's true look if i didn't like it i wouldn't say i liked it right um the, and also one thing that uh you don't explain in the book is the title the title shark in the housing pool i in my opinion came from a business week article that you mentioned in the book right right but there's nothing like about shark in the housing pool the title came from a business week article yeah. i had to kind of figure that yeah, out just, well you know you have to give the reader some credit you don't have to i figured anybody who's reading it at that point would say oh that's probably where you got the title from well like my my book which when you flash it up that picture with mickey mouse right came from a disney cruise okay right and uh 
someone that read an early version of it said, you need to explain the picture, right? right. And so the first couple pages, I explain uh, how did we get a family picture with dad uh, with Mickey Mouse. Right. And so, um, anyways, the... Uh, I'm off... Uh, off track. How did, uh, your, your father died. He had he he died of a uh, inoperable right some no, type it, of cancer or something. He, right? he died of cancer, um, and um, uh, so that's the cool thing about tape is you can back it up and go over all that. Yeah, we probably won't. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Listen, I was going to, I was sitting here thinking to myself when you said my book was good, it was great. I was thinking, well, I know Connor read it, but I know yeah. Connor's never read anything. I don't think Connor's ever watched an entire video if he wasn't editing it. Um, but, uh, um, no, yeah, I, probably you were talking about, or, or the, I, we don't, you know, I don't explain you had talked we had talked about my book that I never explained the title. And then you were explaining, I think it was leading into you explaining your, the title of your book. No, no I, I wasn't doing that as a lead into the book. It just kind of happened. But back okay. to, back to your book. Um, I, I read it, uh, all last week. Um, it's a, how many pages is it? Cause it's like 330. Yeah. And, and the interesting thing to me about it was you said you wrote it, when you were in, in prison. Right. So, um, the thought that went into it and also the thing I like, I like your kind of your hootspot in, um, you know, I bought a car at XYZ Ford and it felt like if I Googled that, it would take me to, you know, wherever you bought the car. Right. The authenticity, uh, look, I've been sued for defamation by, Oh yeah. Yeah. Your parent. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I took my mother's attorney's lies right. and put him on a shirt verbatim, and he sued me. And that case is going to trial in like six weeks. So I took someone's lies, his exact words, and put him on a shirt. And I felt like you were taking a similar risk in putting someone's actual. And, you know, and I've had so I've had people say that right. One. Um, just like, uh, oh, uh, uh, you didn't have their permission to use their, their real name or, you know, no. to talk about. No, but, but what I did have was I had things that were in public record. And, and a lot of times, like if I say I bought this vehicle at a, it's a lot of times people will say, man, you, you had, they'll really say, you got a great memory. But the truth is I really had my discovery. So the government would say, Mr. Cox bought this vehicle, this paid $50,000 for this vehicle at, you know, whatever, you know, Charles Earnhardt Ford. So now I, because I, I can't remember the date, yeah, yeah. but in the book, like they'll have like, usually I didn't bore people with the exact date. I'd say like in, you know, late April or early you know May, whatever. Sometimes I use the exact date if I was like a closing, like on this day, on the 22nd of May, I closed on this with I closed on this house, borrowed this much money. Two days later, I borrowed this much money on the same house. A week later, I bought. So I would do that. Um, but I had those dates and those names mostly not because I have good memory, but mostly because it was a part of my discovery in some form. And, and also, but the people's names that I used, those people had been interviewed by um, by the FBI or the Secret Service, the U.S. Marshals, or they'd been in newspaper articles. So a lot of that stuff I was pulling from public records or they had been listed on an indictment. or in, So they were already out there. But my whole thing was, which is different than yours, 
is that you know you're being sued because these people are trying to shut you down. In it's my in my case, I felt if someone sues me because I use their name, then they now have to go in front of the court and say, one, you slandered my name. And it and I, at, at the time, and like I know people in prison, right? So I, I can get legal work done very inexpensively. So what my whole thing was, I was like, I'll just prepare a document, provide all the proof. And now all the things that you're saying, he smeared my name. I can say, I got it from this article. I got it from these three documents that where you talk to the U.S. attorneys. I got it from the indictment, which you're listed on. Like, and these are things that you said to me because you were a part of this fraud. The people in my book that I've spoke bad about don't want to do that because they know what if Matt provides all of these documents. Now, not only am I listed in a book, I'm now in I'm now got a, a lawsuit in federal court where he's now showing all the actual documents that prove that I did help commit this fraud and was involved with this fraud. Right now, it's just a name and a book. It doesn't really come up. I'm not that worried about it. And also, it'll if they allege slander, they take this and it blows up. Absolutely. And I could turn around and anytime there's a lawsuit filed, I, knowing me, I'll turn around, I'll hit up 10 different you know, 10 different reporters and say, hey, by the way, I'm being sued by this person about my book. It gives me an opportunity to get an article written. Now you're in the news. Now you're going to end up in New Times Magazine or Rolling Stone or who knows what magazine, the Tampa Tribune, who knows what magazine might pick it up and write a, a 500 or a 1500 word article about me being sued over this book, which only gives me more publicity. And now it puts you on the Page two of the, you know, the St. Petersburg Times, which is closed, but um, or, you know, the Atlantic Journal Constitution now runs at how this guy's being sued because he said this person slandered him. But there's all this evidence that shows he was a part of this major fraud. And it talks about the book like there. People aren't stupid. What they do is they get that. I wouldn't be surprised if five or six people haven't gone to some attorney. Yelled uh, and said, look, this is what's happening. I want to sue him. The attorney looked at it and said, OK, listen, here's what's going to happen. Here's what it's going to cost you to sue him. Now, if you want to give me fifteen or twenty five thousand to sue him, and in the end he gets the 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 lawsuit thrown out of court because he can provide all the documentation and he didn't really slander you. You can't prove that it cost you money or harmed you. So the the issue is you're going to cost yourself twenty five thousand dollars to maybe be more embarrassed about something that you actually did. Now, as opposed to, in your case, you're being sued because the lawyers are hoping to get you in a position where they financially harmed you to such a degree that you drop all of these allegations and just go away and stop complaining. And that's what their, their in my opinion, that's what their real goal is because you can show like, hey, you said this, which was a lie, and you lied to the court. And here's how the, here's the proof. Here's the proof. And they're suing you anyway. So they're they're trying to get you to a position where they can get a judgment, where they can get favor with the court in the in the in that those proceedings to get a judgment against you or get you shut down in some way. Because the truth is, I know over and over again, many times if you're a lawyer, you're an officer of the court and you show evidence to the court and then there's there's evidence that contradicts that the court's going to go with the lawyer. So if the lawyer spins it or twists it in such a way that he can get a good result from from them, 
then he's going to do that. And on top of that, it cost him nothing to sue you. He's a fucking lawyer. Yeah. In my case, there's actually two two lawsuits, and we should probably drill down. But first, I'd like yeah, to... Yeah, let's go back to your father. Sorry. Yeah. Let's go back to your, your father dying. All right. right. Your passed away. Sorry. Right. So, dad died in 2013. Now, I've learned this in hindsight. I didn't know it at the time. So, I'm 55. When he died, I was 45. We're coming up on the 10-year anniversary. Um, uh, so he died in 13. Uh, what I learned since was in 1998, dad created a trust. Now, do you, th- there's wills and there's trust. Yes. Do you know the difference? I had to learn. I, I didn't know. I, I, didn't, I mean, I, I, I feel like I kind of know the difference. I mean, right. typically you have a will and it, it, it kind of liquidates everything in the will. And a trust is kind of like a, a living instrument that goes on, right? That, that is set up to do certain things that can continue. And that, that's my opinion. A will is kind of finite. This is who gets this. It determ- determines who gets everything. And then it's shut. It's done. Right. That to me is the so, difference, but I could be wrong. He, here's what I've learned. And, and like you, I may be wrong. A will's, is a vehicle to identify who your beneficiaries are. Right. Okay. Here's my wife. Here are my kids. Uh, here's all my assets, etc. The trust is really the vehicle uh, to dispose of your assets. So the will says, like my dad's will is is eight pages long and it's very non-specific. My wife, Mary Frances Smith, my Five kids. I'm his only son, John D. Smith Jr. Then I have a sister named Jennifer Smith, a sister named Kristen Smith. Of course, they have marital names. A sister named Karen Smith and a sister named Casey Smith. So his will just identifies us kids, the wife. And it basically says, uh, upon my death, sell my furniture and follow the terms of my trust. The trust is the vehicle. uh, And I was told back in 2018... Uh, long before I filed my 2018 lawsuit against my uh, birth mother. And I call her my birth mother, and this is a big distinction. Um, anyone that's listening uh, might have, how dare you, you sued your mother? Mm-hmm. And look, in reading your book, Matt, your mother visited you every two weeks for... Yeah, it's for 13 years. I, I mean, that's a mother. Right. And a mother goes to your wedding... Etc. Um, what my mother did was wait till my father was vulnerable and forge his signature on a new trust that made her sole trustee. I don't think that's behavior consistent with most people's definition of a mother. So I call her birth mother. So dad, he had a trust and basically mother didn't like the terms of it. So she just waited till he couldn't say no. And that's my first lawsuits about that. Uh, but because I'm kind of a, a vocal opposition to my mother and her lying attorneys, and we'll introduce you uh, to some of them, um, I'm being sued by one of her lying attorneys right. for reprinting his lies on a t-shirt and filming a video about his lies. But back to my father's trust, and, and, and look, th- this is what I've, I've learned, and I'm so honored by the interest. I think everyone deals with, the name of my book is called Family Fraud. 
everyone deals with that. You know, someone dies and not everyone is honorable when the, you know, strong leader of the family, like my father was, is gone. And so greed happens, theft happens. Everyone deals with this. Just Google like family fraud. They call it familiar. Like, yeah. Like, yeah, family members. Yeah, they're, they're people that you're close with. Yeah, but they, they use the word F-A-M-I-L-I-A-R, like you're familiar with something. Right. But they they use it in a different context, familiar fraud. Right. It, it's a weird kind of word. So you have to overcome, you know, you sued your mother. Look, if you view her as a mother, uh, you would never question why, you know, John... All the my sisters. This is kind of their argument. John, all the money went to mom, except Dad's trust in 1998. Right. Dad's trust said, "Wait, wait a sec. All the money doesn't go to mom." Right. Dad's trust says half the money goes to mom. The other half goes in a family trust to benefit my five kids. Right, and each kid can't withdraw their share until they're 45 and 55. And the big thing was dad chose his bank to be the trustee. So this was in 98. I didn't learn about this until later. Dad's wishes were follow my trust. Right. Mother knew about this, you know, for 15 years. And I guarantee you, you know, my dad was, if I'm stubborn and belligerent, you know, right. like father, like son, I guarantee you mother was like, ah, oh, come on, make me the trustee. Oh, come on. I've been married to you for 47 years. I put up with your cigar smoking and you're farting in bed and all sorts right. of stuff. Right. And dad was like, no effing way. It's my, you know, yeah. It, she just waited until he couldn't say no. Uh, and so, um, dad had a trust and, 16 days before he died, he was on home hospice. Now picture this. Do you remember? Um, and I don't want to cut. Uh, besides your mother my, and your my father. My mother was on ho- hospice. Yeah, Hospice. Okay. So. Um, She's completely dependent on everybody around her to help her do anything or say anything or in, just it's, it's she's on her way out. Vulnerable? Yeah, yeah, extremely vulnerable. Extremely, extremely vulnerable. vulnerable. And, and yet, at the time, you were probably like, you know, mom, can I? Yeah, she was extremely vulnerable the last few years of her life in general. Just, you know, when you're when you're being weighted on hand and foot by everybody around you, like her mind was gone years before, and she was still fairly sharp, but it wasn't hard to convince her to do anything if you wanted her to. So let's say, hypothetically, if maybe not a sibling... Uh, although I'd like to use the example of a sibling, but let's just say someone you trusted or thought you trusted um, uh, uh, swindled your mother. How would you feel? I mean, I would be, you know, obviously I would be furious, but you know, what's, what's funny about that is that like, you know, I have examples of her being taken advantage of give it, by family members. Give me one. So, um, 
just being asked to pay for this or buy this or use your American Express card to buy this or don't you want to buy so and so this you know gr- you know grandma or whatever it is and it's oh of course well I mean she's feeble minded she doesn't know how much money she does she doesn't even understand how her bills are being paid like she thinks I've got plenty of money but the truth is you don't have plenty of money anymore the money's gone would you so, agree there's nothing worse than that like taking yeah, it's, advantage it's, of an elderly a vulnerable elderly person no different than taking advantage of a kid. Well, that's, I, that's the worst. I mean, that's one of the worst things. Like people talk about my crime all the time, right? G- guys will be, will go on and they'll say like, to me, 99% of all my victims are banks. Right. Institutions. And, yeah. Bank, Institutions. Yeah, banks and, and, um, uh, insurance, or sorry, it, the title insurance companies that had to maybe repay the bank or, um, I have four individual victims, right? All of them perfectly within, you know, the mentally capable of, of their faculties, 100%. Um, you know, and, and it's less than $30,000 between all of them. And I didn't take any money from them. They just hired an attorney to fix what the damage I'd done to their house's title, whatever. Um, you know, which in and of itself is, is a horrible thing. And I certainly, you know, should have known that was going to happen at the time. You know, complete scumbag move on, on my part. But what always gets me is people when and, and I usually if somebody says, man, you're a scumbag for that. Absolutely. If you say what well, I'm a scumbag for what I did, I agree with you. But when guys will come in in the in the comment section and go, this guy's a piece of shit. He stole from old people. He whoa, 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 whoa. Like that's their go to move because you know why? Because they know that's the worst thing you could say to someone. That's the one of the worst things you could accuse a fraudster of. <laughs> Being a fraudster in general makes you a piece of garbage. But when you specifically went out of your way to steal from old people, people are disgusted by fraudsters are typically disgusted with each other. It's like, okay, bro, I, I took Visa for 20 grand. You went and stole 80,000 from an old person. Like, what are they going to do? Like, that's not, they don't, they can't bounce back. They can't work an extra year or two and replenish that money. Like that's, that's fucked up. So I, I I mean, I, so I know exactly what you're saying. And I was going to say another thing is, you know, before we get too into it is that your sister's saying that, um, that, you know, mom wouldn't do this or family members wouldn't do that. Listen, I, I I've seen family members in many other families, when money is involved, people start cutting each other's throats. And I mean, it's despicable. I, and I, my fr- I have a friend, Treon, his father died. Um, and That's he, it. I wanted to ask you, is that his real first name? Yeah, Treon. T- yeah, T-R-E-O-N? Yes. Wow. There's like Treon, Troy, and Trent was the three, <laughs> the three boys' names. Um, and his dad died. Uh, like a year or so ago. And when he passed away, before he passed away, Treon was at the hospital with him. And he said, so I'm, I'm sitting there with my dad. He said, the guy, like he said in like the next, the same room, but like over further passed away. He said, and while they were sitting there with their father, as the father like died, I want to say this is how he said it happened. He said, like, as soon as they said that, as soon as the doctor said, you know, he's gone. He said, he said, we're talking about, he says, there's like three guys there. There's two girls, three guys, a couple kids immediately. As soon as they said, you know, okay, he's, he's passed away. 
Um, one of the brothers goes, I get the truck, bro. I get the truck. And he goes, no, man, you don't get the, I'm t- I, listen, man, I'm the one that put the, the new wheels on that truck. I, and somebody else is like, look, I don't care. I want his furniture. I went like, he said, Trion thought, said, I, he was like, the guy wasn't even cold. And they were already fighting over his furniture and his truck. He and Trion, he, he said, I, bro, he said, I, I, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. But that's how people, those are obviously scumbags, but people, when money is involved, you know what people are really like when money's involved. Well, well let, let me uh, sketch out what happened the 16 days before dad died. So see if this makes any sense. And by the way, uh, um, to, to, any uh, listener that wants to read my family fraud book okay. um, on my website, familyfraud.net, they can download it for free. Uh, and I assume you'll. Yeah, we have it. We'll put the link in the description box. Yeah, yeah. And I did that to honor you because I'm, I'm so thrilled. This is the first um, publicizing of my story. I wrote the book last summer. Uh, and I realized, you know, ultimately I'm probably going to lose all my case because, you know, my mother's stolen $30 million, is funding all this, uh, you know, legal action against me. What wins in a civil lawsuit? Money. Money, right? yeah. And they got more stolen money. I borrowed one hundred and fifty grand from my bank. Matter of fact, I was just declared indigent by the Lee County uh, Clerk of the Court. I, I don't know if you're familiar with the yeah. indigent statute. I was in federal prison. I'm my whole I fought my whole case on indigent. Yeah. So so indigents, you can't own a vehicle worth more than four grand. Um, real property, uh, you have to have net equity of less than like three or four grand. I meet all those uh, criteria, and that was their whole game plan. So uh, anyone, look on paper had. Uh, my family followed my father's wishes. You know, if dad was worth $30 million, according to his trust, his 1998 trust, and by the way, on that date, he also created a trust for mom. Um, and they're both December 14th, 1998. But in his trust, had his trust been followed, half his wealth, or $15 million, according to mom, would go to mom, and the other $15 million would go to uh, his five children. Right. So on paper, and I'm sure some of your viewers, and I wouldn't be surprised if some of the comments are like, ah, this is just sour grapes. Right. He was cheated out of $3 million. And, you know, I think of my father. Do you think your mom uh, a lot? I think about my mom all the time. Every day? Yeah. Yeah. Me too. No, I mean, I, as much, it's funny, as much as I try not to. So. And, and you think of her you probably also think of what she meant to you you probably also right. think of her values right like give me three values about your mother um i mean she was hard working she was extremely she worked her whole life she worked as a, yeah she worked in different capacities you know i think of uh, obviously being a homeowner or, or being a housewife as part of that but um, yeah, she was, she was extremely hard worker. Um, and do you think you get your work ethic from her, her and my dad, my dad, my dad, you know, when you say, when you said, Oh, I worked, you know, 
80, 90 hours a week. Like, I don't think people realize how much that, how much working that is. And I've done that. Like I, I literally, that's literally, I worked 96 hours a week for about three, three or four months one time where, and that's literally that's 12 hours a day, not including drive time. So driving an hour to work. So working 12 hours, driving an hour, I was working 14 hours a day. I was either in my vehicle or working. And I did that for like four or five months. Well, about four months. And long before cell phones. So oh, yeah, it's not no, like no. you could. No, no, this is back in the, this is back in the, um, back in the eight. This is back in the uh, late eighties. Um, so, but I was going to say, um, my, my father worked 10 to 12 hours a day. Like he worked, this is a guy that left at, you know, seven, eight in the morning and got back at six o'clock at night and expected to have you know dinner on the table. My mother raised four kids. She wasn't doing that. She was a, a school teacher. She, you know, she worked in the, you know, worked in the garden, kept up the whole house, you know, did, did all the things that she did, you know, listen, super, you know, good values. She was a great, uh, great mother, great you know, a great wife. So yeah, honest, hardworking, very hardworking, always pushing, always striving to want her kids to be better. So yeah. You're also real, in my opinion, um, you're also really generous. I mean, granted, I was pitching you something, but you actually spent time. uh, Do you think uh, your mother, one of your mother's values was being generous? No, she was super, uh, listen, I had a girlfriend that I dated. I met her when she was, I was like 16 or 17. She was 15, 16. My parents helped buy her her first car. After we, she and I broke up, my father financed a vehicle for her and let her make payments every month for five years. My mother, after my mother used to pick, call her every few months and say, I'm going to Ross or I'm going to Marshall's. Would you like to come with me? When can you go? And she would tell her her day off, take her with her and then have her pick things out and pay them, uh, pay for them. Uh, so, yeah, my mom was she was great. Yeah. So, you know, my father um, had the same. I, I would say the three main uh, his three main values were family, uh, being generous, uh, and um, hard work. Right. I, I, and I think there's less, uh, uh, there's greater values, but I don't know what they, they are. Like, you know, when he died, what I wanted of his um, were his passports. Um we all got, he was cremated. We all got, um, you know, one sixth of his cremains, right? Right. And and this was a kind of a ironic video I filmed. I was in this, uh, I, I went on vacation a couple years ago to this cute little town called Walala. It's spelled G-U-A, G-U-A-L-A-L-A. It's, it's about 100 miles north of San Francisco. And the town sits like on a cliff. And, and I don't know if you've ever driven on US-1 in California. It's, I think it's scary. You know, one, it, if you're just distracted for a minute, you drive off the cliff. There's no right. guardrails and stuff. I, it freaks no, no, me out. No. So I was in Walala, and I had his ashes for, you know, seven years. You're just sitting there. I was in this beautiful place, and I thought, I ought to uh, throw his ashes 
you know, disperses ashes to nature. And so I'm narrating this video and I'm like, you know, in this lawsuit, my mother's attorney, his name is Kenny Kemp, and he's a little guy. You say you're little. I mean, if you're five foot seven, he's the height of an Oompa Loompa. Right. I mean, he's little and he hates being little. He, he drives like a one of these pickup trucks you need a stepladder to get into. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure he wears uh, lifts in his boots. I didn't see any lifts in your shoes. Well, they're hidden well. You, you say in a good pair of shoes. <laughs> so um, I think you're probably closer to 5'9". No. <laughs> yeah. Look, Listen, I, I'm, I'm six I'm like 5'6". I'm 5'7". I'm, six, seven with I'm six foot two. That means you're seven inches shorter than me. <laughs> Easily. Now, now, maybe it's the big afro. I, I noticed you're wearing your hair in afro. Maybe that adds a couple of inches. But um, anyways, my father... Uh, had this trust. He died. Oh, so let me set the set the scene. All right, your mother's in hospice. So you right. know what it's like. All right, so dad's in hospice. My sisters. My sister Karen sent an email uh, a week before this magical day when apparently dad he creates his trust in ninety eight with his Illinois attorney and his bank trustee, First National Bank of Chicago, uh, now Chase, and then one day. August 5th, 2013, he's like, ah, fuck it. I'm going to change everything. And, you know, I've been keeping all this money from my wife. I'm going to give her everything, except I'm not going to have my, my Illinois attorney present, and I'm not going to have my bank trustee present. That sounds legit, right? Right. Yeah, right, fuck yeah. it. Something's wrong. Yeah. Something's wrong, right? And the signatures don't Why wouldn't up. the new attorney at least work? So that for the, for the sake of, of, you know, of not appearing to be to have a, a an issue, why wouldn't the attorney ask them to be present? Ask who to be present? The Illinois attorney and the oh, bank that's representative. That's a really good the, question. You, I mean, even if it's not, even if they're not doing anything that's that's unethical, like why not go ahead and request them to be there just to so that it, so that it doesn't come up in the future? Oh, okay. Well, you're assuming you're dealing with an ethical. Uh, attorney right okay which is funny too because there are so many people out there that if they if they have no real like everything they know about the law they watch law and order they watch some program and everything they know about you know you know uh legal you know they've watched these news these programs and they think well that's how it is like the law profession is very they're all very ethical they're always concerned they're, but the truth is there's i've met so many shysty scumbag um, uh, what is it? Uh, what's the Saul? A better, better call Saul. Kind of, you know, those kinds of tricky, changing this, altering this. You know, those kind of attorneys that are out there that most people don't realize that 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 there's a huge chunk of crooked attorneys that are out there. It's just not hard to find. Well, one. I would not say that attorney Chris Marsala. Uh, no, I'm Naples. sure he's salted. I'm sure he's salt of the earth. I, he's probably great. Uh, I'm very sure, ethical. I'm sure so. I would never accuse him of being unethical. Um, but I happen to have some of his work here, and I'd like to share it with you. I know we're jumping around here. So this, uh, first let me set the scene for attorney Marsala. Right. Okay. So my attorney has deposed him. Right. He has to testify under oath. Right. And apparently under oath is like, oh, I better not lie. I'm under oath. Right. But my experience has been 
eh, if someone's a liar, under oath doesn't really matter. If they're in court, under oath doesn't really matter. If they're a liar, they're a liar. Right. A tiger can't change his or her stripes. His stripe. Tigers are always boys. Aren't there female tigers? Tigeresses. 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 Um, anyways, so dad's on home hospice. Now, attorney Christopher Marsala, who in my video, I don't call him attorney Chris Marsala. I, ta- I call him attorney Marsupial. Right. I was trying, I picked a name. I was trying to think of something that was kind of like oily and marsupials. Don't they have that pouch? I, I couldn't even tell you what a marsupial is. It is is a, a kangaroo a marsupial? I don't know. Is it, I, I'm not. If you're thinking he's going to look something up, like this is not. Oh. This isn't Joe Rogan where I've got a guy that's looking anything up. He's not well, doing. It, anyway, so, so I, uh, attorney marsupial or Marcella. I did kick, uh, keep the same M Marcella right. marsupial. Whereas uh, my mother's attorney. Instead of using his real name, Kenny Kemp, I used the complimentary name, Attorney Mel Practice. Mel, the old English. uh, I can't believe you're being sued. It's shocking. Go ahead. It's not shocking. You have to understand, I, I paid particular attention. It's a complimentary name because Mel comes from the old English Melvin, which is a protector of the council. And in Latin, mel means honey, which when I say mel practice, now I know where you're going. You're going that I'm really saying mal practice. Right. Right? Uh, alleging that he's committed any of uh, a variety of mal practice, but I would never use that word because it's spelled with a different letter M A L practice. It makes all, used- all makes sense to me now. Well, the, 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 you change one letter. It changes everything. And it changes the whole context. Mel, M-E-L, goes to Old English or it goes to Latin. Of course, you'd have to change. Look, uh, I, I'm not really good paint, at Let's paint the scene. Paint yes, the scene. Paint the scene. So, we have attorney Chris Marcella mm-hmm. in Naples. Now, he's an hour away from dad. And dad... Is on home hospice. Could your mother travel anywhere when she was on home hospice? No. No. So, attorney Chris Marsala travels an hour each way to get two notarized signatures. Now, he's a notary, and the uh, American or Florida Notarological Society, whatever it's called, the main notary association, they set limits on what notary publics can charge to notarize signature. I think it's maybe like $8 a signature. Okay. So this guy, in his deposition, you got to, look, there's disbelief here, and there's the truth here. You got to kind of go, it doesn't make any sense, but this would happen. So his testimony is, he's never had a client named John D. Smith. He doesn't remember my father Named John D. Smith. Right. You're John D. Smith, Jr. Jr., right. He's never had a client named Mary F. Smith. He doesn't remember my mother, Mary F. Smith. Um, uh, He doesn't have any representation agreement between him and my dad. He's never had a representation agreement between him and my mom. But on one day, 10 years ago, he drove an hour each way 
to notarize a couple of signatures for a client he doesn't know and has never met, all to make $8 a signature. Okay. Okay. And why does he visit clients at home? Well, he testified in his deposition that, well, when they're physically unable to travel, and physically unable suggests they're in a cast, they broke their hip, they have an ankle, but he doesn't really cover if they're out of it on home hospice. My sister, a week before this fateful day, August 5th, 2013, emailed the family saying, Dad keeps saying things like, how come I'm not in bed? Where's my bed? As he's laying in bed. Right. So, attorney Marcella visits Dad on his deathbed on home hospice on Monday, August 5th, 2013, to make $32 in, uh, in fees. And this is some of his great work. I'm just going to read it uh, to you so you can see the power of what you're getting when you hire a Naples attorney named Chris Marsala. Rossini in the 1990s was a 20-something-year-old Los Angeles-based drug trafficker of ecstasy and ice. He and his associates drove luxury European supercars, lived in Beverly Hills penthouses, and dated Playboy models while dodging federal indictments. Then... Two FBI officers with the Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force entered the picture. Dirty agents willing to fix cases and identify informants. Suddenly, two of Rossini's associates, confidential informants working with federal law enforcement, were murdered. Everyone pointed to Rossini. As his co-defendants prepared for trial, U.S. Attorney Robert Mueller sat down to debrief Rossini at Leavenworth Penitentiary, and another story emerged. A tale of FBI corruption and complicity in murder. You see, Pierre Rossini knew something that no one else knew. The truth. And Robert Mueller and the federal government have been covering it up to this very day. Devil Exposed. A twisted tale of drug trafficking, corruption, and murder in the City of Angels. Available on Amazon and Audible. Signature on the left is the signature on my father's will okay so the will is dated august 5th 2013 the signature on the right is my father's alleged signature on the trust again dated the same day august 5th 2013 what do you see uh, and I'm just gonna. Yeah, we were saying they don't they don't look alike. Like there was the 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 huge gap, and the one is. Um, Do you believe that? I mean, based on what you're saying, I know you're not a forensic document examiner. Right. Um, they, they don't look the same. Could the same person have made both signatures? It, it's like I here mean, he's in the, the letters. The the you know like the. The way they're writing the letters do not look like it's the same person, you know, wrote those. Uh, and then if the signature even the, on the... Even the D. It's like a completely different style D. Right, right. But, but it's a dramatic turnaround. Right. I believe the signature on the left is legit. That seems to be the signature of a dying man. 
Would you agree with that? I was mean, it, did you ever see your mom's handwriting? Well, I mean, in 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 general, is that <laughs> what his normal signature kind of more or less looks like? Like, was it fairly consistent? Well, my he, signature is fairly consistent. It, you know, it's 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 got a it's very loopy and. I'm I'm showing you that the viewers can't see us. I, I'm showing you page three from Family Fraud, which right. they can see this if they go to our website and click on Inside True Crime and download the ebook for free. Uh, they just got to fill out a short form. Yeah, but it's actually it, click on the logo. Yeah, you have to click on my logo. He is on is on the website, and you have to click on the actual logo. Uh, correct. Yeah. So you go to familyfraud.net and click on the inside true crime it's 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 like a square yeah it's it's just they if anybody's watching this knows what the logo is it's the it's the barbed wire surrounding two fists if you click on that it'll bring you it'll give you a free download right so what viewers can't see now this top signature is his signature on his 98 trust and what dad did distinctively in my mind was his d you see how he loops yeah. the d and he does this little squiggly thing. <clears throat> I see the bottom, well, the signature on the right. If you scroll over to the right, Connor. So, so the right signature, uh, I hired a document examiner and he said, the signature is a forgery. And he said, uh, zoom in to show the, the writing transfer. Yeah, it, you zoom into those two signatures. Yeah. All right. You see the gaps in the writing lines? Right. My document examiner said, uh, and my document examiner, uh, his analysis was affirmed by... Uh, the other one. The other way. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. That yeah. one. That one. You could tell where it's, it's like someone, someone, was, someone wrote the name John, and then... He, he concluded they scanned the signature. They scanned it? In other words, that's a drop-in signature from another document. Oh, okay. Right? And the only thing that would prove that it's a drop-in signature is to look at the original signed uh, Monday, August 5th, 2013 trust. So my attorney uh, tried to get it from attorney Kenny Kemp, and he goes, it doesn't exist. Now, think of the old saying... Three people can keep a secret if two of them are dead. Yeah. There you go. So if you were going to forge something, what do you do? Let's just say that's not my dad's signature. And the, uh, let's say he refused to sign it. Maybe okay. in a fit of rebellion, he knew what they were trying to do. And he was like, fuck it. I'm not going to sign that. Right. right. And let's say the trust is blank. Do you keep a blank unsigned trust? No. All right. You get rid of it. Right. So when we tried to get a, you know, not a copy, we want to see the original. Uh, my mom's attorney, Kenny Kemp, says we don't have it. My mom carries; she keeps everything. Right. There's no way. First of all, it, it, there's no way you're not going to have the original. You're going to have the original. And you're going to throw out anything. You're throwing out copies of it or anything. You're going to try and keep the original. Why? But why would you not have the original uh, or what, not want to share it unless it doesn't exist? Or it is blank. Right. And if it's blank, then... Well, then it doesn't exist in, in the form that you're trying to pass it off on. The, 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 right. Yeah, like, like you, uh, you know, throughout your book, you admitted your mistakes. Yeah. And 
<laughs> yeah, I've, I've signed many, many documents in other people's names. And, and Right. Have you ever, imagine if you were, because isn't a forgery, it's really the comparison of an original to a forgery that identifies the forgery. Right. Right? So if you don't have the original, all you have is a copy, like all my mother and her attorney says they have or copies that that this being a copy. Right. Right? But let's just say the original was unsigned. Right. Then they're that, not gonna show it. They're not gonna show it, especially because showing an unsigned means the dad never signed the trust. And that trust, the 2013 trust, made mom sole trustee. So without dad's signature, what does mom have? She has nothing. She, she, she has the original trust that says that the bank is the uh, trustee. Correct. And the, the, the big reason that she did it, it's a two-part reason. The first was to steal all the money. And then the second reason was to disinherit me. Right. And look, I, this isn't sour grapes. I feel like I've already won. I mean, I tell people all the time, you know, they're like, you got cheated out of millions. How dare they? And I'm like, look, dad would say the value, you know, I think of dad all the time, like, right. like you think your mother. Dad would say, you know, the value is a lesser, uh, the money is a lesser value. Think of what you've gained. You know, and this is my honest to God uh, thought, is that first, I have my father's values. Uh, he was generous. I'm generous. He believed in taking care of his family. Although I don't have a birth family anymore because they've made it really clear. Right. You, you know, my mother, you say you're narcissistic. Right. My mother is really narcissistic. Uh, when I sued her, she disinherited me, disowned. I lost not just my mother and my four sisters. None of my sisters can think for themselves. None of my sisters can say, well, what did dad want? What were dad's wishes? Are dad's wishes being followed? All of them are like, they're like lemmings jumping off a cliff, you know? And also, <laughs> they've benefited. Right. Two of my sisters right. don't work. I'll give you an example. My sister, Kristen. I want to show you a picture of her house. My sister, Kristen, lives in a $600,000 house that mom bought for cash with the stolen money, by the way. Is this is this in Florida? No, it's in okay. Illinois. It's in Kane County, Illinois. Uh, if you know your towns in Kane County, uh, St. Charles, right. South Elgin, etc. I was just going to say, a $600,000 house in Florida is a nice house. Yeah, so this house is right here. Um, if you were to Google that address, and I don't want to share that right. address. So it's a four-bedroom, three-and-a-half-bath 3,700 square foot, two-story house. It's beautiful. And they bought it with furnishings, which probably were another 50 grand. So growing up, and it's just my sister in it. So this is the house of an unemployed person? She's not unemployed. She works for a animal shelter, and she probably makes, I don't know, 20 grand a year, maybe 30. The taxes on this house are 17,000 a year. So I she, don't. She can cover it. I don't think someone making twenty five grand a year comes up with uh, seventeen grand for the taxes. Um, so the the thing about this is um, uh, this house is beautiful, beautiful. Oh, but 
growing up, so there's one person in 3,700 square feet. Growing up, we had seven. This is just for her? Just for her. Oh, and uh, what did she do to deserve this? Like the old Pet Shop Boy song? What have I done to deserve this? Came out in 88. Um, I love music. Uh, She got divorced. And I say in the book, boy, if she got divorced and she gets a $600,000 house, which, by the way, isn't in her name. It's in mother's name because mother is a narcissistic. Right, right. Um, well, and she needs to be able to y- be able to yank her out of the house. If she doesn't do what she says, you need to be able to easily say, get out of my house. Except mother would never do that because uh, all my sisters are kind of lemmings. They all right. follow. They can't think for themselves. Because any sister, imagine your father's taken advantage of and you see it right in front of you. One would think my sisters would be like, no, no, uh-uh. No, no. Or they'd be like me. They find out after the fact they would sue. They would uh, say, I'm acting on behalf of my father. How dare these people take advantage of feeble old man? Right. But the main point about my sister Christie's house is it's just one person in it. Growing up, we lived in a house 10% smaller and there were seven of us in it. Right. So like my father's values, my house is a thousand square feet and it's big. Three bedroom, two bath. It's just me in it. It's all I need. I mean, there's rooms in the house I don't use. I don't use the front porch very much. I don't use the back deck very much. So, I mean, I don't need the, the idea that, you know, Kristen couldn't have said, Mom, uh, wait, it's just me. I don't need 3700 I, I got a great idea. Instead of buying a $600,000 house and putting it in your name, why not buy a $200,000 condo and give me the other four hundred grand in trust so if something happens to you, I have uh, liquidity. Mom doesn't do that. Um, so, uh, back to, we were setting the scene for Chris Marcella. Dad's on home hospice. Uh, uh, Marcella comes to get two signatures for a client that he doesn't have and he's never met and he's never, um, um, he's never done any work for dad or for mom. He says under oath last, um, last August in his deposition. And he does all this, uh, to, to get two notarized signatures. So let's check the quality of his work here. Um, the, this is a paragraph, and we're going to put this on the screen. So my dad has a trust in 1998, and he has his, uh, his trustee is his bank, not my mother. Um, and he has very specific instructions in that trust. And clearly, my mother didn't like him, so she just waited and waited until he was on home hospice, vulnerable. You know, you describe your mother. Um, and on August 5th, 2013, has this ethical and honorable attorney. And I say that tongue firmly in cheek. He's kind of a sloppy attorney, Chris Marcella. And I'll give you an example. So uh, if you look at the se- page seven of the will, which is on the left, Right. I'm, I'm just going to read it. And again, this is a guy that visits a guy, prepares this document and the trust. 
with the forged signature and then has his notary stamp, Chris Marcel, on it on the next page. You know, so he's got he's at least got some legal fees tied up into this. And one would think a professional that signs his name would would not make such a glaring mistake that no one's caught. My attorney hasn't caught it. No one in the court system has caught it. Let me just read it to you. And this is the affirmation or the um, affirm affirmatory statement made by the two witnesses, Glenn and Carol Murphy, which were our next door neighbors growing up. Quote, we certify that the foregoing instrument consisting of this and the six preceding typewritten pages, we're on page seven, six preceding typewritten pages, was on the date below, signed, sealed, published, and declared by John D. Smith Sr. as his last will in our presence, and that we, in his presence, and in the presence of each other, have signed our names as witnesses hereto, believing John D. Smith to be of sound mind at the time of signing and then the money shot right here. The said John D. Smith Sr., having signed his initials at the bottom of each page and his name at the close of said will. Wow. The Murphys witnessed my father, John D. Smith, sign this will. And they also witnessed him, him initial. initial every page. So, page one, is it initial? No. Page two, no. Page three, no. Pa and I know we're only sharing the signature page with you. If anyone that, that's had a relative, all I can say is uh, I'm litigating this case on my own, meaning at trial, at, at least at the defamation trial, I'm uh, defending myself. It's called pro se. Right. Right. And if you put pro se together, it's pros, you know, it, it is what it is. Pro se. And some people would say that, you know, someone that represents himself, particularly at trial. Have you ever done a trial? No, but it's something I can learn. And I know this case more than anyone. And I'm going to be a lot more aggressive than my attorney. He's nice. But he right. said to me early on, he said, John, I don't dunk on other attorneys. Yeah, that's no good. What well, you need to be able to dunk, you need to like shack, pull the net down on them. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but the other thing is, I noticed you're in really good shape and I'm straight. I can say that. And in the last two and a half years, I've lost 50 pounds, 40 pounds. Um, so if you go to a doctor and the doctor says you need to eat better and take your Rosevue statin um, and, and uh, not smoke and exercise. Does that mean you're practicing medicine without a license if you comply? No. No. So uh, someone that represents himself has a fool for a client. Uh, eating right, eating healthy. It's not like you're practicing medicine. So defending yourself in court against a bunch of attorneys and and that this is just the tip of the the iceberg this is just i would call chris marsala that's just sloppy i don't know what you call it to say that uh someone you're, you're basically putting your law license on on the line saying yeah i observed uh the 
decedent, Mr. Smith, initial every page. You know, some people have said that, would an attorney really go along and and for, you know. For, for money? For, right. For money? Well, it, would he look the other way? And not just that, being an attorney is like a license to steal because the truth is it, it, that if I were to go along with it, like, let's say you say, okay, for a bribe. Well, they don't even, they can legally bribe you because all they have to do is say, I charge, I charge $400,000 for my, for my fee. And since you get to pick whatever fee you want, your client can go, okay, knowing, but with that fee, I'm telling you right now, it's going to go through. Like I'm going to do whatever it takes. The truth is I could have done this for $1,500 to $2,500. You know, that's what a normal, but I'm going to charge you $400,000 because we're going to make sure this works out. And look, I am really lucky. You know, my attorney's name is Chris DaCosta. He's out of Fort Myers. And Chris, he's a good man. He may not dunk on uh, other lawyers, but nor does he charge for every email and every phone. He is very honorable that way. Um, But, you know, my main reason for doing that is uh, it's my feeling and belief that Kenny Kemp and all mom's attorneys all they did was do what I'm told most attorneys do is just delay everything to squeeze me. And it worked. And as a result of this, I'm in debt, I don't know, probably 200 grand to a bank. And uh, I was recently declared indigent and I don't have any more money to pay my attorney. So uh, uh, in the face of walking away i'm not going to walk away here would be the greatest solution yet there's two primary cases and if someone wants to see me john smith a non-litigator which by by the way tell me if you think this would be funny in my remarks to the to the look i both cases there's a jury right right and i view the jury as my ultimate audience right it's not going to be a judge because the judge would rule against me yeah because i think it's a big family yeah right it is right so um but you know with the jury you have to be able to speak uh and relate to their so you think it'd be funny if i said you know by the way um you know my name is john smith i'm the son of financial fraud victim john d smith senior i'm really here on behalf of my dad but you know i did want to disclose to you that um Uh, This is my first case, but uh, my first trial uh, that I'm trying, but I'm in good company because uh, my mom's attorney, Kenny Kemp, this is his first case too. Would that be funny? Right. Has he never, he's never tried a case? Well, he's maybe have tried some. I I think that would be bad because then I'm suggest I'm, I'm conveying that I'm an attorney when I'm not, I need to tell him right away. Look, I'm. I'm an amateur against a whole bunch of professionals with you know deep pockets and the ability to lie without remorse. I'm going to lose. But I want... I, I would not... The, first of all, the moment you say the I, a lie and all that stuff, they're going to stop you. They're going to they're gonna interrupt you. Your honor! He get, you know what I'm saying? The moment, there's this thing. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Have you ever heard of something called litigation privilege? No. Uh, uh, I mean, you're only allowed to go so far. 
Well, and, and, and those kind of rules, you know, I like I, you get away with a lot in op- your opening statement. I yes. understand that. But I, I'm wondering if how much they're going to. No, it, and I, I, I wouldn't go with the joke because the last <laughs> thing I want it, I want to convey a sense of sincerity. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to make light of it, right. et, et cetera. But the cool thing. So there's two cases. The first case is my lawsuit back in 2018. And I wasn't suing to get a portion of the inheritance. Right. Let's just be factual to your viewers. There is no inheritance. The inheritance would have been had my father's trust been been followed. But all that's out there that that the world really knows about is the trust that has the signature on it 16 days before dad died. The trust that that gave mom everything. Right. You know, where where dad's like for 15 years, I'm keeping all this from my wife. Right. And when I'm on home hospice. Well, I don't know that she, she's keeping it from her. He's just saying that my, you know, that my will or, you know, what my trust. goal is. Well, my goal is that it be dispersed. He's not saying she gets nothing. He's saying I want my assets dispersed in the following manner i want my kids to get half i want you to get half like he's not saying she you're saying keep it from her he's saying this is for 15 years or or you know this is this has been my you know this has been um what i want to happen and even when he was sick and knew he was sick and got found what was said, Hey, you've got cancer. Like he had plenty of time to make those changes before he was. And he didn't, he was mentally in a place where he didn't know whether he's in bed. He didn't know who people are. He didn't know exactly what's going on around him. And then he has an attorney swoop in with your mother and says, Hey, we need you to sign this. And who knows what he was signing? He doesn't, he doesn't, who knows what they told me. I guarantee it was something like it was trickery. Like Smitty, his nickname was Smitty. Uh, The doctor needs you to sign some medical papers. It was some kind of, kind of trickery right. involved and then the the fact that the fact that they're not it's not every page isn't initialed the reason pages are initialed right is because and there's actually a movie with um ben affleck in it uh or affleck i forget how you say his name what's his name how do you say his name i think she said it right affleck, the first time affleck um where he's an attorney and his the attorneys the partners in the law firm Go to an uh, go to a client who's worth you know whatever billions, and he's on his deathbed, and they say, "Look, we're we need to you know have you sign some things before you die." And he signs the last page, right? And he initials it, and then they take that last will and testament or whatever the whatever it was, and they insert they they remove some pages insert what they want it to say so that as the last sentence carries over to the next page it actually works out perfectly right but he's initialed all the pages even then they were able to manipulate it so that they could change his last or that document i don't know if it's a trust or a will but so that they could alter it in such a way but that's why you initial every page to say hey the document i'm signing i'm initialing every single page to keep someone from committing forgery right but when you have nothing initialed you have nothing initialed and you have people saying i saw him initial it 
What'd you see him initial? There's no initials. What are you talking and, about? And one would think the pride of attorney Chris Marsala, when he learns about this, would go, oh my God, how could I have, how could I have, you know, oh God, you know. Well, I th- he's probably banking on the judge shrugging it off going, well, I mean, that happens sometimes. I was an attorney. Uh, those things get overlooked and shrugging it off, which, which listen, you know, judges were attorneys. They know that attorneys fuck up. They want to cover other attorneys in the legal profession. They want to cover them. That's why prosecutors, for instance, prosecutors will get up and mislead judges and lie to judges all the time. And there's there's never any recourse unless the media is there to throw such a light on it that it makes the judge look horrible or the process look horrible. That's the only time I've ever seen a, a judge or the the legal profession kind of. Um, you know, monitor themselves or, or, or um, you know, basically come in and, and, and say, okay, we're going to make, we're going to make an example of that. We're going to go ahead and say something about this. So that it doesn't look like it happens all the time because the truth is we all know fucking happens all the time. But in this particular case, we're going to have the judge yell and scream and make a big fuss about it. And we may even have this guy get, get um, sanctioned by the bar. We won't make him lose his license ring. That's just too much. Or maybe he loses his license for a year. Listen, in in Tampa, in Tampa, there was a a lawyer, um, Kevin. Oh God, what, what was his name? Kuntz or something like that. His name, I think his last name was Kuntz. He was a U.S. attorney in Tampa. He literally doctored up um, transcripts. I think he's in your. He's in one of my one stories. Of the books. One of my yeah. stories. He doctors up transcripts, reads the transcripts to a, a jury, gets the jury to indict two people who lost their child, but says he's going to put them on trial. The only way they were the um, Goldsbergs or something like that. The the only way they were able to get the get it thrown out was that they begged for six months to a year they begged the judge we're begging you to look to listen to the tapes that he says these are the transcripts because there's no way we said this the judge finally listens to the tapes because there was so much media attention on it the judge read the lawyer the riot act then the u.s attorney above him said you're either gonna quit or you're going to have to go work in the civil uh, civil uh, uh, department. Like you can't work criminal cases anymore. You're too dangerous. Like so, you can do civil litigation. So he quits, and a year later they appoint him as a a U.S. attorney in another district. So we're going to fire you. We're going to make it. We're going to make you quit. But don't worry. A year from now we'll, we'll hire you. you. And they hired him as a supervisor. So, because let's face it, if he wanted to, th- if Kuntz wanted to throw a fuss, Kuntz could say, what are you talking about, bro? This happens all the time. We do this kind of stuff all the time. Like, he could have made it look bad. Instead, they said, look, you understand the position we're in. You go ahead and quit. We'll hire you again in a year. We'll give you a raise. Like a backdoor deal. Right. So, because there's no way to say, hey, you were fired from the U.S. attorney's office and hired by another U.S. attorney's office. In, in the, it's still in Florida. Just in a separate district. There's no way to say that that's acceptable in any way. But nobody thought that anybody would ever catch that. And they didn't. My point is, these things happen. And even when they admonish themselves, even when they, they govern themselves, they still take care of themselves. 
They never just cut someone's throat and you think, oh, that guy works at, that guy's working at Tire Kingdom now. He's a manager at Tire Kingdom or he's, he's working at McDonald's. Like that's not what's happening. That's not what's happening at all. So I'm, I'm sorry. So I, I went off on a tangent, yeah. but yeah, I hear what you're saying. So my whole thing is he's banking on, I'll get in front of the judge. Your honor, your honor, it's a mistake. The judge will be like, God, that happens sometimes. I'm not going to hold him responsible for that. We're not going to address that. You know, I'll tell the jury, your jury, this is what happens sometimes. We're not, don't even focus on that. And they're, they're going to, no offense, they're probably just going to run over you. Now, look, I'm expecting to lose. I'm right. expecting to lose. Uh, but you remember Rocky? Yeah. Right. What was the big, what was Rocky's goal? It was, and there's a song named after it, his goal was to go the distance. Right. All he cared about was lasting 15 rounds, going the distance. He, he knew there was no chance of him winning. Yeah. And he won in the end, right? Ultimately, here's the- No, he loses in the end. In oh, it's Rocky, Rocky too. He beats. Apollo. <laughs> I was gonna say it's only been it's only been seventy six. It's that a great like, movie, though. It is. Listen, in my opinion, he still won. He still did. Like you say, he went. He did go the distance. He and anybody who watched that, he won. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like the fact is, is that Apollo Creed should have crushed him. Apollo be, pre, uh, Apollo Creed should have been humiliated that this underdog, complete underdog. Even went 15 rounds with him. And and what happened was Sylvester Stallone, he wrote the movie and he was really successful selling it, but they wanted someone else. Yeah, they didn't want him. And he fought for him. Yeah. And yeah. he took less money. Yeah. They, at some point, at one point, I don't know if you know this, at one point they, so they started by giving him like, we'll give you 50000 for the script. No. He said, okay, great. 50000 for the script, I, but I star as Rocky. No. Goes to you know another studio. They said we love it. it. It ends up being a bidding war. He gets it up to like two hundred fifty, three hundred thousand dollars. And this is a time when he, Sylvester Stallone said, "I'm bouncing checks. Like I can't pay my rent. Like I'm I'm." He literally sold his dog. Do you remember in the it, 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 if you I listen to the story that he sold he had a dog he couldn't afford to feed his dog. He sold his dog, and finally. He came back and somebody said, we'll let you star in it, but we'll only pay you like, and I don't know what the amount was. I but think it was, it was a half million. It was a ridiculous. Are you saying they got it up to half a million? No, no, no. The budget for the movie was a half million. Oh, okay. No, uh, but they said, but to him, they were like, but we're not paying you a couple yeah. hundred thousand for the script. We'll yeah. pay you like 30,000. on himself. Yeah. And he said, <laughs> but I get to star in it. And they were like, okay, you can star in it, but we're not paying you the 200000 We'll pay you this much. And they gave him next to no budget to do the whole movie. And it was Rocky. It's one of the most successful uh, movies of all time. Turned turn into a whole series. And there's like six or seven of them now. So, so my vision with the, with, with the book is I want to give it away. And right. I believe, and I repeat myself, and there's a fair amount of humor. Uh, in, right. A uh, little in sarcasm. A little bit. Uh, maybe a little bit, but there's also a lot of truth. Although I say uh, with Nana Kemp, uh, Kenny Kemp's grandmother, uh, uh, you know, uh, my grandson tells the truth, right? Which is what and a little old lady would sound like if she didn't have her teeth in, right? Yeah, I, little nuances, stuff okay. like that. Is that bad? No. I mean, I'm not, am I? If it's truth, if it's funny, but it's truthful, am I? mocking old women to say that a lot of them don't have dentures and when they don't have dentures they they say truth as i don't know look i was missing my front tooth 
I, I bit into a piece of candy about a year ago, and the tooth broke. Oh, man. So I had to get an implant. And, you know, it's hard to swear without a front tooth. You know, it's like, I, F you. Right. You know, it's hard to get that F sound. Your tongue touched your teeth, all these things you learn. So my goal with the book is I wrote it to teach people the lessons uh, that I learned and also to share my family uh, with the world because I would love it if... I mean, just to have a feature article written about it to show that this happens to a lot of people and the subtlety, what my mother did was she just waited until my father was vulnerable and then took advantage of him. And she plays on, oh, she's just a sweet old woman. Like, tell me if this makes any sense. This is her testimony at a... uh, at a hearing. Uh, Dad had a million and a half dollars in life insurance with Mass Mutual and John Hancock. And four months after he died, he uh, these life insurance checks came payable. So Mass Mutual wrote a $1.5 million check to the John D. Smith Trust. Uh, John Hancock wrote a $40,000 check to the John D. Smith Trust. Now, this is mother's testimony. I took these checks into my bank, Fifth Third Bank. And she sounds just like this. I mean, I, I, I'm not mocking. She's in right. a little, she's 82 now. She speaks kind of haltingly. Right. You know, it takes her a day to get out an hour's worth of conversation. Um, uh, I took these into the bank and... There wasn't an account opened in the name of the John D. Smith Trust, which was a problem. So the bank opened an account in the name of my trust, and they deposited the $1.5 million into my trust. I now realize, nine years later, that it was a mistake, and... If the court orders me to give this money back, I will do so. You mean you didn't realize it was a mistake and the just, next day? And just well, and and why does the court have to order you to? Duh, right? And then, but the idea that uh, there is a million and a half dollars uh, checks made payable to Matthew Cox, right? And I take him into SunTrust or Bank of America, and and they go, are you Matt Cox? And I'm like, no. Uh, Oh, but Matt Cox doesn't have an account here. Okay, we'll put him in your account. It's illegal. Right, yeah. And yet, this is conveyed to a magistrate. Her name is Kim Bocelli. I mentioned her in the book, Lee County. And she goes... Uh, Mrs. Smith testified credibly that she had made a mistake uh, in depositing this into the wrong account. Now, look, banks don't make mistakes like that. Mother goes in and she has some con story, etc. She swindled her bank or, you know, played the little old lady. Is it possible that a bank could deposit a check made payable to you in my account? I don't think so. No. 
There's no way in hell it happened. No. I and mean, yet, if it was a, if it was a mistake on their part, but they would have to pay it, pay it back. They would have to correct it. And why and why would you take why would you need? Well, I can't the, imagine it would even somebody would even do that. That doesn't even make sense. But this but. is what I'm up against. So the magistrate, Kim Bocelli, hears this. It, if you or I wake up and uh, say Bank of America, my bank, puts a million and a half dollars in my account, right? A mistake, right? But let's say I keep it. They call that felony theft. Right. Right? It's not like, oh, well, I'm a million and a half richer, right? right? A mistake is what happens. But when you keep it, it's a felony, right? And that's what I'm up against in this. Uh, the, these judges... I mean, the greatest thing is the main judge. Her name is Elaine Laboda. Right. And Miss Laboda, if you're listening, I admire you. She's a hard ass. Dad would love her. Um, she's so accurate with her rulings. But Kim Bocelli, uh, she's a magistrate. Magistrates handle stuff that judges are yeah, too yeah, busy to too do. Busy, yeah. So I have the magistrate ruling where she says, Mrs. Smith testified credibly. Oh my God, I had to throw up in my mouth. I, I'm listening to this. I'm like, she's a million and a half checks made payable to dad's trust. And how dare she put it in her own account? Oh, and she just realized it's a mistake nine years later. Look, the reason it's not a mistake is she intended that. She's had all this benefit of that million and a half dollars. It's not a mistake. When you steal, but it's just like, oh, no, no, I didn't shoot him. The gun went off. Yeah. You know, it's all, it's bullshit. You know, yeah. pe people yeah. tend to lie about stuff. Alec, Alec Baldwin. Because guns are constantly going off. Yeah, they're constantly going off. I know police officers off. are constantly getting themselves shot in the thigh because they're like, I was walking down the street with my gun and that fucking thing just went off. They're super dangerous. I know when I, I, I used to have a concealed weapons permit and we used to make sure that when we had a gun in in my the side drawer that we always faced it towards the wall because sometimes in the middle of the night it would just go off. So. But, yeah. So the, the main thing, uh, you know, I don't know how much time we have left, but what I wanted to walk you and your viewers through uh, in the video in the book, I accuse the heck out of my mother and my sisters of committing tax evasion. Right. I don't say one word about my mother's 10 attorneys. I don't say that they participated in tax evasion. I don't say they're complicit with tax evasion. I, I do. Uh, in some ways, I, um, I, uh, I want the viewer to smile along with me. So there's some kind of funny stuff, but there's also some things that don't make any sense. When I talk about my mother's attorneys in the video and the book, family fraud, what I do is to say, you know, I think my mother's greatest mistake was she, she's articulating to the IRS that dad's estate was 8 million when she's sitting on 30 million all along. Right. Also, so, so what, what, so you believe it was valued at 30 million because your mother told you it was. And also based on her spending. Okay. So we'll t tell me the first thing that you said one time she had told you. Oh, so, so this was in like April of 2018. Uh, at the time she lived in my father's condo. Uh, where he died in the living room, of course, or in his bedroom. Um, and we were sitting there, and this was b 
before I learned that Florida law says that beneficiaries are entitled to this info. And I was like, Mom, you know, how much was Dad's estate? And she wouldn't say. And my sister Jenny was there. Jenny's kind of like mother's financial advisor. Jenny hasn't worked in 10 years. Uh, All my sisters are on the cover. And life has not been good to them, at least two of them. So my sister Jenny... Um, it, it's not her fault. It's not her fault. <laughs> you're laughing. What? You're what, laughing. What, what, what? All right. So she's, I don't know how much she weighs, but she's like five foot two. She, she has a pacemaker. Um, and she'll tell anyone that listens that she has fibromyalgia, which apparently is some syndrome that uh, requires her to eat unhealthy and not exercise, especially when she has a pacemaker. And so she has to, oh, and sleep in and not work. Um, but she mm. has this syndrome. I, look, uh, um, all this stolen money, two of my sisters, it's not helping. Because Jenny, look, in the last two and a half years, on my own volition, because I was, I was 298 pounds, and that was, I couldn't believe how, how undisciplined I was. That I allow, what's the most you ever weighed in your life? Probably, I mean, the most I ever, probably about 205 pounds, but specifically I was like 19 or 20 years old and working out and trying to weigh 205, but like I weighed what I wanted to weigh. What do you weigh now? Me now I weigh like 180. Uh, I'd like to get down to 170. I'd like to lose like 10, 10 to 15. I say 15 pounds, but I don't get up. Let's say testosterone. You'll lose the weight. I know. I don't want to, I don't want to do that. So it's probably going to be, but I'd say, let me put it this way. When I walked out of prison, I weighed 150. Wow. Right. So, and I knew I was going to gain weight because it's easy to lose weight in prison, you know, and all I did was walk and I knew I was going to get out and I was going to be able to work out with weights and I was going to be able to eat better. So by the time I left the halfway house, I was probably one, 160, 165. And it's only because I took the testosterone. I've shot up to 180. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but I'm. I'm. Pr- but you've I'm, also made gains in lifting weights. You can lift more. Yeah, I would never let my weight get away from me. Not only because obviously I don't like the way I, I look and I feel. I feel super uncomfortable if you get if I get up around one eighty five, one ninety. I feel uncomfortable. But not just that. It's just super unhealthy. Like you know, you there's all kinds of issues with just gaining weight. So when I see people that are super heavy. I, I always do think it's just, it's just, un, they're just undisciplined. By the way, does lifting weights, uh, uh, is it a narcoleptic? Does it put you to sleep at night? Oh, it, it, well, yeah, you feel better. You, you, no, no, but, uh, but you're so tired. Yeah. Like when I run two and a half miles, a couple times a week at night, yeah, you're out. I'm it's out. Great. Right. It's great. And it's not that I'm walking around tired. I just, I'm, I, your body just needs that time to, to, to sleep. But I was going to say, um, I always love people that are super overweight that will say, you know, that, well, I have a you know, thyroid issue. I have this issue. I have that, you know, or people that say, you know, well, you, you can't just starve yourself and lose weight. And I always think, I always think of people in concentration camps and I think, well, there was never some fat person who was like, wow, well, everybody else weighs a hundred pounds. And there's this one person that weighs 300 pounds and they say, oh, that person must have a, a, a thyroid problem. Like, I mean, if you cut back on your calories, you're going to lose weight. That's just the way it is. It, like there's no, everything improves when, when you lose well, weight. You feel, of course. Yeah. <laughs> the thinner, the thinner I, 
I am the better. Now, granted, I don't get to get the enjoyment of eating a cheeseburger, you know, which does suck. I would love a cheeseburger. But yeah, I hear you. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Your sister clearly doesn't have that issue. Well, yeah. But also, here's the the thing, uh, you know, in this whole ordeal. So this is a horrible conversation, by the way. I I know exactly how horrible this sounds, but it's fine. Whatever. I'm okay with it. Yeah. But but here's the thing about my sisters. So uh, uh, back about five years ago, my mother creates a company called Smitty's Footprints. It's based in Lee County. Dad's nickname was Smitty. And I think, again, I haven't had a conversation with my mother in five years, my sisters, and about that time. I have lost when dad died and when I, and really my lawsuit is about standing up for dad. And my outrage is how dare someone take advantage of a vulnerable person. And anyone that is curious, uh, I'm expecting to lose, but if I won, ultimately what I would love to see happen is like that scene in Ghost when Otome, uh, you know, with Patrick Swayze help, when they steal back the bad, the evil money, and then they're walking along and Patrick Swayze is like, no, 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 I want you to write it over. And she's like, it's $2 million. You want me to give it away to it, you know? And then, you know. Uh, and he's like, it's dirty money. I, yeah, It's dirty money. And, and. She won't like, you know, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, 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 she yeah, won't yeah. let go of it, yeah. right? Um, so ultimately, I think the greatest justice would be for the court to say, yes, this was a terrible, terrible, awful, as they say in the movie, The Help. Mm-hmm. It's a terrible, awful that happened. And all the money's rounded up. All these homes my sisters are living in rent free that mother bought with this stolen money are sold. Oh, my sisters might have to get jobs. Oh, wow. Be like all of us. And all of this money is donated to a charity. That, to me, would be the ultimate justice. Um, Because ultimately, like, five years ago, my mother creates this company called Smitty's Footprints. It's in Lee County. And then she starts buying all these homes for cash. Way more cash than is in the $8 million estate. Right. Um, And then... I happen. It was back when I was talking with my sisters. I happen to notice a big discrepancy in the articles of incorporation. You know, you can anyone can look. You go to sunbiz.org, right. Department of Corporations, um, and they have the articles of incorporation. Smitty's footprints. There's a thousand shares. Oh, oh, and footprints. I believe is an ode to the. The Jesus footprints in the sand. You know, originally there were two pairs yeah. and it was me and Jesus walking along. my brother. Along. Yeah, yeah, carry, yeah. <laughs> and then, Jesus, you forsake me. No, no, no. That was me carrying you. I think it's that, but no one talks to me. Smitty's footprints down in Lee County. So, you look at the articles of incorporation back in 2017. A thousand shares. 950 shares owned by mother. 50 shares owned by my sister, Jenny. Done everything right. Doesn't work, you know, oh, how dare my brother sue you? That's mother's narcissism in my mind. She names a company after dad, and then dad was generous. Why wouldn't she go like, Jenny, it's all yours? Or Jenny, 50-50. My sisters didn't know that mother had set the company up like this. And I was like, well, you need to do something. You need to tell mom, fuck you. You need to sign your share open. Because Jenny's kind of... And I say this with full love. 
she's kind of a weaker person. You know, life has victimized her, etc. But she's someone that struggles with self-esteem and feelings of self-worth. And her own mother creates a company with her and then throws her under the bus and doesn't treat her equal. And I mentioned this to my sisters, the other three sisters, and they do absolutely nothing. This is the family. And to me, this is an outrage. Like, okay, if you call it Fran's footprints, well, Fran's a narcissist, of course. 95% mom, 5% Jenny. But dad was generous. Name it after dad and then... It's it's so it's just awful awful behavior. So what what so, I so let me walk quick, you through the. Fr- I was going to say because it's a, it's the discrepancy between telling the IRS eight million dollars, but actually having roughly thirty spending roughly thirty million. Like how's that possible? Correct. I'm pretty good with math. Okay, so um, uh, first her whole plot. Um, th- there's two things afoot here. There's the IRS. Um. The, there's the IRS discrepancy of starting with thirty million and tell tell them eight million. And by the way, how did she do it? How many accountants do you think she has? One. One. How no, many accountants do you need? She has three. So she has one accountant. Uh, it's this company called Markham Norton. Blah blah. I can't read upside down. Yeah, yeah. They're in Fort Myers. Markham account- Norton. Um, Misteller Wright and Company. Right. Okay. Rand- Randall Wright is the main accountant. So that accountant does the uh, my dad's trust tax return. That's the only thing they do. Then another accountant does dad's personal 1040. And that accountant's name, Stephen Bretholtz of Fort Myers. But wait, there's more. And then the third accountant does... Dad's 706 estate tax return, Kim Probe. Now, why do, you, why do you think mother had three separate accounts? Well, because if, if one accountant would have all the information, they would all be the same. You can go to one accountant and I can tell you um, the estate's worth $8 million because the the – um, this house is worth two million. This one's worth a million. This is worth two hundred thousand. Two hundred thousand. There's this much in this account. You can tell them that, and then they say, "Okay, so it's eight million. Yes, it's eight million. Then, for the purposes of let's say depreciation, you could go to another accountant and say it's worth twenty million dollars, and we're depreciating this, and we're doing that. Well, that's in conflict. You're giving conflictory information to each accountant if it was one accountant he would say well, wait a second what's going on you here? said this last time yeah what's going on here i can't do that that would be unethical i'll get in trouble for saying eight million here 12 million 20 million here and two million here that's that's not right i have to be consistent but if you go to three different ones the left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing that's exactly my suspicion and again this is not something that i believe she's had this conversation with kenny kemp i believe she's paid kenny kemp that's her main attorney and again this attorney went from a hundred and fifty thousand hour townhome prior to knowing mom uh, to a million and a half dollar mansion, he bought a, and this is just a crazy thing. He I, did what? He he lived in a hundred and fifty thousand dollar townhome in two thousand fourteen. Prior to okay, prior well, to knowing mother, right. right? Within three months of knowing mother, and obviously ka-ching, right, right. Because um, I believe he knows 
the real estate is thirty million. Right, right. So right. within that time, he within, went from one hundred fifty thousand dollars condo to to he bought a house uh, for a million one point four million dollars. And he put $400,000 cash on it. Now, how would I know that? Well, I'm good at research. Yeah. So you go to the... Public records. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's... Right. You see the mortgage for nine hundred grand. You see the deed for one point three. You look for any other mortgages. There are none. The, the only answer is... Yeah. He put down cash. He yeah. put down four hundred grand cash. Right. Now, how would someone that lives in a $150,000 home for 14 years suddenly have $400,000 cash? Well, he's not... He, he, that's a lot of eight dollar signatures. A lot, a lot of notaries. No, no, that's this a, is this is a different. Lot of, that's a lot. Th- that's this different is attorney. a different different attorney. Chris Marsala only oh, did sorry. the you know forged trust. Okay, attorney Kenny Kemp is. Uh, see, I'm sure he's a notary too. Maybe a lot of notary signatures. That's Kenny a lot of wills. Kemp is throughout family fraud book. Okay. Kenny Kemp is suing me for defamation because I took three of his lies, put them on a t-shirt and wore them to a deposition facing him. I, I, it's my sense of humor. I thought it'd be funny. Like he, did he think it was funny? He took pictures and then he sued me. So apparently he has no sense of humor, but how do you defame someone with their own lies? Right. Well, you can sue anybody for anything. I know. know? I know. And this judge, uh, this judge, believes that my shirt is evidence. So with that in mind, I plan to wait. It's going to be my uniform. It, look, if I if you say something cockamamie stupid and I just put it on a shirt and wear it, I'm defaming you with your own words. It's ridiculous. Right. A defamation is I take something that's untrue. Because the, the, the defense against defamation is truth. If you said it... right. That's the same thing I was saying that that with me saying stuff in my book and using real people's names is that my my, you know, my defense to anybody that were to try and sue me is is the truth. But I have the truth. I know what the truth is. You said this here. You said this here. You're in this newspaper. You're in this. All of these are true things. So I don't have a problem with it. I've never never, never had a problem. But go ahead. Um, uh, right. The eight million to the go ahead. Right. So so three separate. Uh, uh, tax returns. The main one is after a year and a half of waiting for it, year uh, fourteen months. This is my father's seven hundred six, uh, and this this version is not redacted. You know what redacted means, right? Yeah, changed, changed. Uh, well, usually blacked out. They'll usually redact or black yeah. out a social security number so that some fraudster doesn't. Right, right. Yeah. Um. So, but this is when my mom says. Dad's estate was only eight million. What refutes it is her spending. Right. So that's what I want to uh, go through with you right now. Right. So uh, the number one question someone will say, and this is what I have to prove at trial, is um, they're saying that I've defamed Attorney Kenny Kemp by wearing a shirt and filming a video showing what I believe to be the truth. They falsely said that I've in the video said that Kenny Kemp uh, and my mother's other attorneys aided her in the tax evasion or complicit. I had to go back and watch it again. And I found two spots where on the screen I flash Mrs. Smith and her four daughters committed tax evasion. Like it's not there. I, I, which is which is why they uh, filed their stupid little defamation suit against me. It wasn't for the truth. It was just to 
cause me to be indigent right. and spend a whole bunch of money. But this is the argument that I would make if I were in front of a jury. How do I know that mother's estate or, you know, dad's estate was greater than $8 million? Well, 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 first of all, why was your mother tell the IRS it was worth $8 million? All right. Think about this. Let's say when someone doesn't do something uh, that they should, they would you agree they they don't do something trying to avoid some perceived negative consequence? Right. Okay. So the reason why you, uh, going back to your story, the reason why you absconded from Tampa or left, went on the run, yeah. was a negative consequence that I'm going to get arrested and thrown in jail. Right. 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 So you're. Or why would you, why would you use someone, why would you go do this and use a different identity? Right. Because if it, if there, if it's found out, I don't want it leading back to me. Right. So she tells the IRS $8 right. million. Right. So let's say I, I think, you know, my mother, my whole family is really good at math, uh, myself included. And so I think mother did what we call a pro forma. Okay. If I tell the IRS it's 30 million, oh, they're going to, they're going to want estate taxes of 8 million of my fucking money. That's how mom thinks, right? Okay. All right. Uh, no, no, I'm not going to tell them it's 30 million. Okay. If I tell them it's 20 million, the estate tax are going to be four million of my fucking money. No way, I'm not going to tell them twenty million. Right. Oh, but if I tell them eight million, that's still millions, right? Yeah. And there's no estate taxes. It's a little over what two million dollars she has to pay then, right? No, she the, 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 she didn't have to pay any estate taxes. Oh, okay. So why would you deliberately underreport to the IRS? It's to avoid. Paying taxes, taxes yeah. which is what I say in the video. Okay. Now, uh, here's a little side note about the IRS. Everyone's afraid of the IRS? Right. Uh, if you are success, let's say you defraud the IRS, I don't know, $22 million, yeah. and you uh, keep it under wraps for long enough, yeah, like in it, my case, five or six years, they don't give a shit. Yeah. The IRS, I, I met with a IRS special agent. Uh, um, they call it... Uh, IRS CI criminal investigation. Right. So the IR, the people that investigate tax fraud are the, but they have these handcuffs, which are the statute of limitations, yes. right? What, uh, you know, everyone knows the Bernie Madoff story. It wasn't the IRS that investigated and prosecuted him. It was the SEC, right? Securities exchange commission. So the IRS, um, think of a wimpy country, like, uh, you know, in World War II, what was it, Switzerland? Yeah, yeah, that's the IRS. Anyone listening, you work at the IRS, you'll agree with me. If you find out fraud and it's past the six-year statute yeah. limitations, the fraudster gets away with it. Yeah. Right? So I didn't learn about this fraud uh, until 2018, 2019. It's, you know, and the IRS is, but have you ever owed money to the IRS? No. Couple of grand. Well, I mean, yes, I have. Yeah, right? not. Yes, I have. Couple of grand. Yeah, I, I believe, and I write in the book. There's two IRS offices. There's the IRS that governs the the middle class and the poor. You or I, right? Right. And those are the ones. Oh, you owe us three grand. We're gonna levy your bank accounts. We're gonna stay. Right. You know, your third child, etc. And then there's the IRS that governs the rich, and that's the IRS that goes. Ah, your mother is 80 years old. Do you really think we're going to handcuff an 80-year-old? Well, 
Wouldn't you uh, levy on me if I owe the IRS when I owe a couple grand? Why is it any different? There's two IRS offices. Right. Right. So what I've heard from, uh, and they have a whistleblower office. Right. A whistleblower office is kind of like a dead P.O. box, meaning they don't check the, the mail very often. You send in your whistleblower complaint and they go, uh, another complaint. You know, you can read horror stories about the whistleblower program. What's the point of having laws if they don't enforce them? Right. Yeah. So uh, the IRS is. Um, uh, so she had no fear of telling the IRS that it's eight million dollars. I've heard people say, John, it's crazy. You wrote a book called Family Fraud. It's crazy. You're like staking yourself out there saying, you know, making levying all these accusations and i would submit to anyone no i think craziness is telling the irs the estate's eight million when it's 30 right that's crazy um so the way that and i show in the book and i also articulate in the video the video by the way was shot in 2021 and the video really was kind of a fuck you to my mother and my and her attorneys who right. by this point in 2021 it cost me like a hundred grand. So I sent it to as I recall, I sent it to every IRS criminal investigation office in the US. There's like 56 of them. And it was really like a video affidavit uh to law enforcement. That's right. why I shot it. But I didn't know a lot of the stuff in it. I didn't know about the forgery on dad's trust. I didn't know by the 2021, we were probably only uh to like 40 of Kenny Kemp's lies. You know, there've been maybe another two dozen since. Um, so the book came out last year. And the, the thing is, not a lot of people know about family fraud, but everyone deals with family fraud, which is why I want to give the book away for free. And you can do that. You know, any viewer here can read. And there's, a, you know, the ebook has a bunch of clickable links uh, in it. There's a whole bunch of, uh, my main goal is to tell people what happened to me and teach what I learned uh, so they can protect their family. Right. All right. But now going through the numbers, how do I know, uh, you know, mother says it's 30 million. How do I know? Uh, she says it's 8 million to the IRS. Well, she says it's 8 million to the IRS, but I know that can't, it just can't be accurate. Um, the, the second page of this document, and I, I, I don't know, is there, a, is there a file there called Certificate of Trust? Um, yeah, that's the... No, no, no. I, all right, it's not there. This, this is when Mother purchase one of her properties for cash okay she had to provide her trust and now mind you this is a picture of the family is maybe about uh 10 days before dad died we're all at the polynesian village in a room you know dad's you know he's like out of it like i i see castles and it was right. just a bunch of gibberish and we we're like oh do you see heaven do you you know but it was just really meaningful time with dad but this is so that's me, that's mother, that's my younger sister, Karen, that's uh, Jenny, that's my younger sister, Christy, I'm sorry, that's my youngest sister, Casey, it's hard to look this upside down, and this is 
uh, Kristen. So like Kristen and Jenny are kind of underemployed, unemployed. Um, Karen, uh, Casey works at Microsoft. Karen married well. Karen and Casey uh, don't work. Um, uh, but the ultimate, you know, there's two crimes, the crime against the IRS and the, the ultimate crime here is what my mother, my dad saw his family as a pie with seven slices. Mom, dad, five kids. Mom sees the pie. She doesn't have a son. So this, when she bought one of her homes, she had to do a certificate of trust. And so she had to provide her trust. So this is the second page of her trust. And then there's four other boring pages. But she only lists her her successor trustees, my sister Jennifer, my sister Kristen, my sister Karen, my sister Casey. Right. This is when you think about American greed, this, this was her whole goal. And this happened months before my lawsuit back in 2018. So all this was is mother in her mind is she don't have a son. Right. And all this was is I'm going to steal this money from my husband and I'm going to redistribute it to my four girls. I don't have a son. Okay. Right. And if I were in my 20s, I'm 55 now, this would be really hurtful. I mean, like to be disinherited by your mother. Why? Over greed? And like, you know, if she's going to share it, do something good with it. Help the poor. But like two of my sisters to enable my sister Christy to live in a $600,000 home, that's not in dad's values. That's crazy. Do something good with this money. And I get it. At, at this point, I don't need the money. I, I can support myself. I, I, you know, I might be nicer if I had a, you know, $600,000 house. Using forgeries and bogus identities, Matthew B. Cox, one of the most ingenious con men in history built America's biggest banks out of millions. Despite numerous encounters with bank security, state, and federal authorities, Cox narrowly, and quite luckily, avoided capture for years. Eventually, he topped the U.S. Secret Service's most wanted list and led the U.S. Marshals, FBI, and Secret Service on a three-year chase while jet-setting around the world with his attractive female accomplices. Cox has been declared one of the most prolific mortgage fraud con artists of all time by CNBC's American Greed. Bloomberg Businessweek called him the mortgage industry's worst nightmare, while Dateline NBC described Cox as a gifted forger and silver-tongued liar. Playboy magazine proclaimed his scam was real estate fraud, and he was the best. Shark in the housing pool is Cox's exhilarating first-person account of his stranger-than-fiction story. Available now on Amazon and Audible. Back to, we got $8 million. Yep. How are you getting to $30 million? Okay. She says, I have $8 million okay. to the IRS. Yes. All right, so her spending. So I have to refer to the 706. Uh, is the 706 one of those files on the master file? I don't think it is because it has so much um uh it has so much public info. Um so uh 
I can email this to you, but I'd rather not. I'd rather just kind of walk you through it so you can see it. All right. So we start with $8 million. Right. All right. Then on page page two of the 706, a million and a half dollars was paid to my father's trust. Right. All right. Then on page nine of the 706, the page numbers are at the bottom. Um, page nine. Uh, page nine, there's 738,000. If you add this one, uh, yeah, these three add up to 738,000. Right. So right. a two point, roughly almost 2.3 million. Uh, correct. So if you make these, if you start with, $8 million, and you have a calculator and uh, Kellogg's common sense here, um, and you subtract some basic expenses, real estate. There's whatnot. another $300,000, so now we're at $2.6 million to $2.7 million. Correct. So if you subtract all that from what you started with, uh, you're now th- at the net estate of dad of five, po- call it $5.5 million. Right. Okay. So, so now, that's, what, that's what she's got in the bank account. Yes, before um, this. So this is testimony she made last April um, in a hearing. She's under oath, and she's testifying that since Dad died, she's been spending two hundred and fifty grand a year on living expenses. Now, mind you, the home's paid for, right? But you can't argue with testimony under oath. So she's for the last ten years, she spent. 250 grand a year on living expenses. And this is the source document. I didn't think I should bring it. So that's two and a half million. Okay. In the same uh, testimony, she said she's donated 200,000 a year to charity. Nice. Two million's gone. Two million. Now, think about this. Now she's at 4.5. She's down to a million dollars. Right. Now, think of this. If all you had was 5.5. Five million, right? Right. Would you piss away? Would you donate? Point? Would you donate two million or forty percent all the money you had in the world to charity? No, but I'm not a charitable person. I wouldn't donate anything to charity. I'm just that guy. Right. No, but if you had thirty million and you subtract whatever, right. and you got twenty five million, would you give? They're probably getting nothing. Uh, uh, they actually are. I, I verified. Right. All right. So no, you know, I'm saying, I'm saying me. Yeah. You. Yeah. I'm right. not giving them nothing. All right. But so now, um, but your mom seems to be very generous from uh, very generous, very generous. So from 2000, With anyone but you, well, but wait a sec from 2013 to 2018, mm-hmm. I was told there was a trust for me. And, um, I, starting in 2015, I could, borrow against this trust these proceeds were loaned to me i signed and i know why she did it now um and that so it was a total of four hundred forty-six thousand that she loaned to me and now a cynic would say john if she loaned you four hundred forty-six thousand, you're her least favorite kid what did she give each of your four other sisters and i'm like well there's a hell of a lot more than 446,000. Right. You know, if she buys one of them a house and the other of them a house, but both titles on the houses are in mom's name. Right. See narcissism. So anyways, like you said, you know, living expenses and her she's very uh, charitable and she loaned me 446,000. 
Um, so those add up to this. Right. Subtract them from the. Now you have 535,000. Okay. All right. So now these are other things that are not included, but logical expenses. Trust for my sisters. If she's telling me there's a trust that's going to loan me 446,000. And by the way, that money stopped on October 1st, 2018, when I, when the lawsuit was served. And the reason was, is that uh, we don't want John to pay his lawyers with this money, which goes back to this money is not yours. If it's yours, right? I should if I want to, you know, uh, snort cocaine with it. If I want to go to Greece, if I want to, uh, right, know, right. If it's your money, you have the power. So these are reasonable expenses that she would have had, you know. And the biggest thing, Kenny Kemp, she's been with him ten years. Kenny Kemp, he drives. Now he has this million and a half dollar mansion, and that was enough. Because remember, he's about he's about the height of a oompa loompa oompa right. loompa doopity doo. Right, another riddle for you. Um, he's tiny. Like you're, he's probably two two Kenny Kemp's make one Matt Cox. He's little, and you know. Uh, but he's got li- a big car, big truck, big truck, big house. Um, he probably has a big bed, so big he needs like a ladder to the bed. Like a little person. So anyway. Anyway. So so what we don't know and what he's been very reticent about sharing is his legal fees the last 10 years. Right. Right. Oh, it's none of my business. Except he knows that when you plug in, let's say they're $2 million in legal fees. Well, there's not enough money in the estate. You know, she spent this and she donated this. Where did the $2 million come from? That's the whole point I'm making the video is that. If you look at these attorneys, go ahead. No, I, I'm, if you look I'm at just these saying. Attorneys, and you look at their lifestyles. A guy that lives in a million and a half dollar house, and now he has a six hundred and fifty thousand dollar Nortec thirty nine foot speedboat behind his in the in the marina. Who spends six hundred and fifty grand on a boat? A little guy, right? So let, let's okay. So I, I understand what you're saying, right. but, so, but let, so your your sisters have most likely have trusts. Yes. So we're assuming that they're, let's say they're about the same as yours. Let's say half a million a piece half times million, four. That's okay. two million. Two million. Uh, n- your mother has nine rental homes, um, insured maintenance costs. Do you have calculations for what you believe those are valued at? Yeah, that's the spreadsheet. Right. So how much does that come to? Well, the raw cost of the, of the, these are the homes she's bought in right. the past, right? Is two point two million. Yeah, two point two million. Right, and and this is this is there's no mortgages on these. They're all cash free, free and clear, free okay. and clear. Right, and so she's you, now deep in the negative. Yeah, and how's that pot? I mean, I say in the book, it's like the loaves and fishes of Jesus. Right, you know, Jesus had loaves and fishes. <laughs> so, all right, and you can pull up, you can pull up the spreadsheet now. That one, it's a miracle. You had 536000 Okay, if tax evasion is not what's occurring, here's what Kenny Kemp has said. Uh, she, was, she received money before your father died. Oh, really? Oh, then it would be in Dad's 1040. Huh. But a bequest is not there. There's no paper trail. That's odd. 
So we've got legal fees, nine attorney legal fees. That ain't, that's not cheap. CPA fees. That's not cheap. Trusts and college funds for six grand children. That's a lot. Um, living expenses of $250,000 per, okay. Per year. Per year. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the 200000 This is the original one. Right. Okay. So all this comes to. I estimate it. Well, you know, I, I say it's probably all of this is another six to 10 million. Okay. I mean, you know, we know two trusts, you know, four trusts for my sister's. If it's the same amount as me, that's two million. Right. Yeah. 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 Another couple of million to our attorneys. See, they won't tell us, my attorney and I, what their legal fees have been the last ten years because they know where. Yeah, yeah, it's excessive because it's excessive and it makes them probably makes them look complicit. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so it's a total of. So, like these were all the loans. You know, I I keep really good records. But they total up to be four hundred forty-six thousand. So this is my ultimate spreadsheet. Is you know, if she started with five hundred thirty-six thousand and she bought all these homes, uh, you know, taxes. What I don't have a handle on is like homeowner association and are they quarterly or annually. But anyways, you know, she spent at least two point eight million, probably like three million. And she only would have had 536000 And again, this doesn't include the trust. So what do you call that? If you only got $8 million, you can't spend eleven. Right. Right? And this is ultimately what's so silly about the pansies at the IRS is no one cares. Oh, it's been six years ago. Oh, it's been six. Well, there's nothing they can do. It, right? Like the, the statute of limitations is up. Is that what they're saying? Yeah. But now a creative person. So uh, I want to show you this. Uh, uh, let's see. Hold this up to the to the camera there. Uh, no, no uh, hold it so they can see the address. Uh, let's see. I was thinking the camera right yeah. behind you. Okay, that's you. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. So this is a letter. Uh, this is one of the federal agencies I complained about. Okay. Right. So uh, anyone out there, if you Google the Center for Tax Fraud Reporting, uh, they're up in D.C. somewhere. And so I Googled them, and it takes you right to a page with the IRS, Department of Justice, et cetera. So I send a complaint letter to them. Right. And then uh, sometime in like January of last year, they sent me this packet. And uh, I don't want to bore you with uh, most of the content. But in the packet, you know, they have this, uh, why you, you should care about uh, IRS tax fraud. But they sent me in a cover letter. Um, they sent me a whole bunch of documents. Oh, and one of them is this. So go ahead and read that over. Okay. And this, it looks to be uh, a copy of a 1099 from Fidelity and Charles Schwab, and it looks to be um, uh, my mother's holdings as of, I don't know, June or July of 2021. 3.9 million down to 11. And we've got the ending ending value, but then we've got total investments in cash position, 11, almost 11, almost 11.5 million. Right. And so... I assume that this federal agency, the Center for Tax Fraud Reporting, 
obviously uh, a federal agency like this would have access to databases and stuff like this. But, you know, what's interesting about this, uh, uh, this thing was called Exhibit 14. So back uh, almost two years ago, my mom's attorney, Kenny Kemp, he had accused me of committing fraud on the court. He had all these false allegations. Ultimately, Judge Laboda, my favorite judge, because she's a hard ass. Right. I think she would admit, agree with that. Uh, she doesn't suffer fools. Ultimately, she found that uh, Attorney Kemp's allegations were without merit. It took two years. But he, was, he had so much conviction um, uh, that we had to have an evidentiary hearing. Uh, on um, January 24th of last year. And he provided this affidavit of Mother's Holdings. Uh, uh, wherever it is, uh, you can never find it. Here it is. Yeah. Right. So he provided this as evidence, almost to brag. And why would an attorney do that unless it were true? So like he kind of, in my mind, validated um, the whole point that I make in the book and in the video is if you start with $8 million and you spend $14 million and then you have $11 million left. Yeah, that's some special math. Yeah, but then others have said, maybe your mother is an investment genius. Well, then where's the investments? Then where? Well, okay, but Kenny Kemp would like you to not see what doesn't exist. You know, just like for years, he said, oh, your father never had a trust. Your father only had one trust, and it was dated August 5th, 2013. And then when on my own, I found dad's trust. Oh, that trust was never funded. And then when we found that it was funded with a million and a half in life insurance, oh, um, but those checks were never made payable to the John D. Smith Trust. And then when we found that they were made payable to John D. Smith Trust is... She just deposited him in the... Right. Oh, uh, she made a mistake. Oh, she never meant to deposit them in her own account. And she didn't find out that mistake for nine years. Past the statute of limitations for... Who, who knows? So, like, in Kenny Kemp and, and Mrs. Fran Smith's world, oh, I didn't steal that money. Oh, it's not $30 million, It's $8 million. Oh, but how have you spent all this money? Uh... Oh, I got a bequest. Really? Where's the paper trail from the bequest? Uh, well, I, I, uh, well, there is no paper trail. You know, it's, and thus, that's why I think this would make a great, great documentary, a Netflix. I mean, it's too bad Telly right. Savalas is dead. Kenny Kemp, Telly Savalas. Now, Telly was much taller, but they got the bald head. Yeah. I mean, like, think of a guy that's five foot two that's bald. I mean, besides, uh, can, oh, can you flash up? Uh, let me talk about the shirt, by the way, because I've been acute. There we go. But, okay, uh, so zoom in on this. And then I think we're almost done. All right, so, so back in 2021, um, these are, can you read those? Uh, yeah, and that's Kenny Kemp on the left. Not that I have anything against bald guys. It's just bald, dishonest attorneys. So those are three lies that he told. Uh, so there was a hearing in September 2020, and there's two trusts. There's my dad's 1998 trust, which is called the original trust, 
And then there's the second trust in 2013, the Forge Trust, that's called the Amended Trust. And so the judge says, Mr. Kemp, have you given uh, Mr. Smith the original trust? And he goes, Judge, I don't have the original. I don't know where it is. And about 15 minutes go by, she asks the same question. And he goes, Judge, we gave him the original trust. Gave who the original trust? You. Yeah. First, it's... So they handed you, the, no, they gave you the original... He testifies. First, he testifies, I don't have it. I don't know where don't it know is. Where it is. That's on page 29 of this transcript. And on page 35, she asks the same question. And he goes, Judge, yes, we gave him the original. So when we are having a deposition, that's a fucking lie. We don't have it. How, how do you give something you don't have? Right. Right. That's one in the book. I chronicle his. Well, let's assume for a second. Sorry. I hate to interrupt you. Yeah. Let's assume for a second. He gave you the original trust. One. Why would you give someone, I'm an attorney, I have the original trust, you, let's say you requested a copy, why would I give you the original? I wouldn't give, I would never give away the original. There's two contexts to the right. word original though. Original versus copy is one context. Right. An original versus amended is the context right. here. Okay. All right. So the original trust is the 98 trust, the first trust. Right. The amended trust is the second trust. That's original and amended. But okay. original could also refer to the original one that dad signed right. versus a copy. Right. Right. So the language here in this hearing was not original and copy. The language was first trust in 98 called the original. Right. Second trust in 2013 called okay. the amended. Okay. So the judge is asking about first trust in 98, second trust in 2013. Okay. And I agree, it gets confusing. Right. The context is everything. But either way, like if Kenny Kemp said, oh no, I was talking about original versus copy, it's still a lie. We don't have the original, I gave the original. Lie. Right. Right? And it's in a transcript. Another thing, the second one down says... Um, John D. Smith is not a beneficiary. John D. Smith is not a beneficiary of the 1998 trust. You see that? Yeah. All right. And that's sourced in Kenny Kemp's affirmative defenses. And there's many times he says that. And then in an email, the third one, it says, it is without question that John D. Smith is an interested person in the estate. Wait a sec. How could I be an interested person if I'm not a beneficiary? Right. That's a lie. Yeah. Right. So, well, and the document itself shows that you, your sis, you and your sisters were. Yeah, uh, yeah. But the whole point of this, the last five years, I had to go and find the 1998 trust on my own. Right. With no help. Kenny Kemp never gave it to me. They always said, oh, we don't have it. Oh, it's been destroyed. Oh, it's been dissolved. Right. And these are all lies that I put into the book. So... I thought it would be funny. I'm at a deposition of me, and I know he's going to be sitting across from me. So I just thought it was, you know, kind of funny. And I'm, look, I don't know if you sensed uh, I'm kind of outraged, and I'm kind of uh, maybe not vindictive, but, you know, what's in the character of someone that has the idea of, uh, wearing a, I call him protest shirt. Right. It's my First Amendment protest shirt. Sitting across from the very guy 
that uttered these lies. I just thought, oh, oh and I took it a step further, although this didn't make it. Kenny Kemp, he's a short guy, but right. he also goes, he, he graduated from the University of Miami. And if you've known anyone that went to UM, their mascot is known as Sebastian. It's an ibis, you know, University uh-huh. of Miami, the Hurricanes. Okay. Right? And Kenny Kemp, in his Facebook uh, profiles, he wears this big ibis gold chain an ibis like you know like a rapper would wear right except his is a university of miami ibis and to mock him i bought a a cheap ibis and had it under my shirt and i was hoping like you know i would lean over and it'd come flopping out but i never i i figured you know just having it that was mocking him enough Uh, so i wore this shirt and then based on this shirt uh, he filed a suit uh, for defamation. I'm defaming him with his own words. So now, uh, uh, pull up the baby. Right? So, flash forward to, yes, baby Kenny. And it really kind of looks like him, too. I, I mean, look, they're about the same height. Um, so, now, uh, I, am I defaming him by comparing a... A 20-inch tall baby to, you know, a five-foot-one Oompa Loompa guy? Maybe. 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 Maybe not. But if it looked like him. But if it walks like a duck. <laughs> so. So, uh, so, last February 4th, there was a, a deposition in this defamation uh, uh, ridic- uh, you know, trial process. And they requested me to bring that shirt that I wore. Well, I didn't know, like, you know, a shirt in May, they want nine months later. Right. I pitched the shirt. Yeah, there's no reason to have the shirt. Right. right? Or maybe I had washed it a bunch of times and it just shrunk. And so when they asked for the shirt, I was like, I'll get you the fucking shirt. And so, you know, this is my creative mind. It's a metaphor, right? <laughs> you know, hey, Kenny's crying. I defamed him with his own words. So... I um, put the same image on the shirt, and then I had a little bit of entertainment. I on my phone, I had rigged up a, a crying baby. Right, you can get a ringtone that's a crying baby, mm-hmm. right? And so, uh, at a certain point, uh, now Kenny wasn't there. His attorney uh, was there, and his attorney, his name—it's a great name. What is it? It's a—it's a name of esteem and prestige, and money. So his first name is Asher. Uh His middle name is Ellsworth. Uh, And his last name, uh, it's phonetically Knipe, like C-A-N-I-P-E. So, look, I have the world's most common name. Who should I be? I shouldn't be critical of anyone. But to name your kid Asher... And then what do kids call him for short? Like Ash? Right. Or Ellsworth. Ellsworth. No, no, no. Uh, stop stop uh, you know, stacking the firewood in tens. Come in. It's time for dinner. Anyway, so Asher is the opposing attorney. And he's like, do you have the shirt? And my attorney's like, my former attorney. Yes, I had him bring the shirt. And at that cue, I called the phone. Wee, wee, wee. 
the crying baby alert goes off, right? I reach into my backpack, shut off the phone. Look, when someone pisses you off and takes advantage of your father, you know, this is the way I kind of vent a little bit. They want the shirt. I give them the goddamn. Is that not the shirt? That's that the is shirt. the shirt. Look, so you, I, pull the, you pull the baby out. Pull the baby out. And he goes, look, if my attorney had a gun and murder was legal, <laughs> I'd be dead. My look, and my attorney, my old attorney, Scott, is a big guy. He about because he had promised the guy the shirt, yeah, and I had conveniently not said anything, right? So Asher was like, Oh, I'll wait until I tell the judge. Well, at my defamation trial, I am going to present uh, the ba- you know, a 2023 version of the baby because I'd rather they hear it from me. These are all lies. Right. And, and you don't defame someone with their own words. That's kind of crazy. So, uh, anyway, oh, they, uh, so why is he? So he's he's just trying to wear you down and and bankrupt you and. Well, no, it, it's worked. I'm indigent. Yeah. Um. Uh. And that's why, since I can't afford to pay my attorney uh, anymore, you know, think of the last person that Kenny Kemp and also my mother would want to be questioned under oath me. Right. I'm, I don't know if you picked up on it. Maybe I'm a little naturally adversarial. Uh huh. Right. See it. Yeah. And, and so, you know, Mr. Marcella, so you visited the client at his home on his deathbed and you, and you get your notary stamps here. And yet your witness says they, Initialed every page, and every page is not initialed. Uh, I, right. Yeah, an attorney is going to be outraged that's, uh, that some amateur is questioning them. But I think a jury would be really interested to hear from the victim's son. And so, you know, ultimately, if I'm going to lose in court, I'm going to lose uh, doing my best to honor my father in front of a bunch of strangers. Right. And I'll take those odds. I don't think my attorney, uh, he already told me, he doesn't dunk on right. opposing attorneys. And I, I think there's a link between my mother's attorney's lifestyles and the fees they charge, but there's not enough money in the stated $8 million to be able to afford these attorneys. So right. either they work for free or the uh, estate was way more than $8 million. If it was way more than $8 million, what does that say about all the attorneys and what's that say about mother? Right. Yeah. Or she's got these, she, or she's done amazing things with her investments and then also just not told the IRS about it. Yeah. It, her, her, yeah. She started with 4 million. She didn't spend it and she invested this 4 million. And in the last 10 years, including a couple years of the worst market ever, she not just doubled, not tripled, not quadrupled, not quintupled, She's six times. Uh, yeah. yeah that, that's in her seventies. In her seventies with, with no training that has as much logic as my father and saying, not, and not disclosed it to anyone. And there's no paper trail. And, uh, you know, the greatest thing about the 706 and I sent this video, by the way, to Kenny Kemp, Chris Marsala, um, Bruce Green, a bunch of, what I would call incompetent accountants, you know, that, and not one of them sued me. And I have unflattering things. I call 
you know, the accountant Kim Prove. So this is her work, right? It's unsigned, this tax return. Um, there are spreadsheets inserted in it. A spreadsheet. Why would someone put a spreadsheet of of this? Why not have um, there in a life insurance policy? There's a certain thing that's a tax form. I forget the number. Why not have those? You know, spreadsheets are kind of ripe for fraud. What's most interesting about 706 is so there's a spreadsheet on dad's alleged okay handwritten notes in a uh, 706 that you file with the IRS. Sloppy, sloppy. So there's a spreadsheet purporting to have dad's, and here we go, dad's stocks and bonds. Now, before he died, he entrusted to me a number of his Charles Schwab 1099s, and I've done analysis comparing them to this, and like none of these are in the Charles Schwab, like, you know, 90% of Charles Schwab is not shown here. Now, why would someone leave out multi-million dollars from Charles Schwab? Well, why would someone deliberately under-report? Right. Well, I was going to say, too, and your mother's the one providing all this information. Yeah, like a spreadsheet. Why not have a 1099? Well, a spreadsheet's ripe for fraud. Um, And this is the quality. So just keep in mind, if, if anyone out there is thinking of fucking over the IRS, God, it's so easy to fuck them over. All you have to do is start with 30 million, tell them 8 million, and hope they don't figure it out for five or six years. Well, she's good. It, it's she's good. You know, what she's doing. She's a gangster. It was just an accident. It's all just an accident. So what is ultimately the goal? Let's assume, let's assume that you go to these, the two, the two lawsuits and you prevail. What is what would be like the ultimate goal? Well, all that I can hope to prevail is to recover my uh, attorney's fees. Right. Um, you know, in life, you know, if I have my father's longevity, you know, I have seventeen good years. Right. right. I would love. I would love that some uh, producer documentary says, "Wow, what a great story!" Like. A little old lady, like you were the Bonnie and Clyde of mortgage fraud, right? right? You know, so uh, think of, uh, um, think of a little old lady that is the <laughs> mastermind of a crime syndicate that hoodwinked the IRS. Uh, you know, think of all the fun titles. I don't know if there's any kind of famous, you know, grandmas in criminal history that get away with fraud, but. I think most people would go like, wow, she fooled a lot of people. But I think the thing that ultimately is her downfall, like a lot of fraudsters, is the spending. The spending, and that's why I went through it briefly, but if you only have $8 million, how do you, if right. you only have $8 million, how do you spend more? Right. That is something that... There is no answer for, right? And, and that's why, that's why, like my my previous attorney Scott, he never made a big issue of mother spending. I feel like I could try uh, either case with five witnesses and, and win. Chris Marsala, the attorney that created the amended trust that never was hired by dad. Can you imagine someone that? 
your family didn't hire shows up at your doorstep and has a new trust that steals all your family money and gives it to a third party. And no one, Judge Laboda, Magistrate Bocelli, no one says, wait a sec, wait a sec, uh, where was the signed, off, you know, a letter of representation between Mr. Smith and Attorney Marcella? And no one cares about it. That's, right. Yeah. So, you know, ultimately, if I win, I get really nothing. I, I get made whole with all the attorney's fees. To me, the ultimate victory would be sharing my story with the world. And having, you know, I, I think that most people in the public, the, look, everyone's against me. Right. You know, and my, my parents, you know, uh, uh, my mom's side of the family is the Sensky. And guaranteed, they're only seeing her side. Not one person. And there's a lot of like, oh, we go to church every Sunday. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of pious people. Yeah. Not one of them. They're the worst. Yeah, not one of them has uh, said, wait a second, why would, why would Mr. Smith, why would Smitty change his trust 16 days? That, that doesn't make any sense. You know, no one has, and that's to me the power of, uh, you know, it's the, there's a chapter in there of the, because um, I analyzed the $2 million that she donated to charity. I actually run it down. Uh, there's about a million and a half to dad's college, John Carroll university on the phone a couple years ago. As soon as I say, Oh, this John Smith son of, you know, John Smith. He's been, Oh, Hey, blah, blah, blah. Nice. Talk. Yeah. I was just calling to say, you know, how much money have you gotten from, you know, mom, Mary Francis? Smith? Oh, well, hold on a sec. Let me, blah, 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 blah. Oh, you know, it was 1.5 million. Great. Oh, thank you. Can you give me the dates and amounts? I'm just trying to clear up some, you know, I'm trying, you know, the hey. million and a half wasn't on the IRS tax return. Call back three days later. You know, I, we don't have, it. you know, the same person. By now, she's spoken to mom. Oh, uh, you know, we don't have anything. And she's really, uh, and I put that in the video in the book. Her memory becomes distant. Uh, so... There's a lot of subterfuge. What I would love, I mean, really, the only thing I have is my story. Right. And, and the big question, is, I mean, what do you think, Matt? Do you think people out there, do you think your viewer, I mean, do you think we'll get any views? Do you think viewers are going to go, oh, man, that happened to me, too? Well, I mean, I think it happens a, a lot. I think, like, you know, I said, I think it happens a lot more than people realize you know, there's a house that's in dispute. There's people argue over it. They start changing deeds. They start running up credit cards. They start, you know, the person in control ends up funneling money to themselves, you know, that sort of thing. Um, and, you know, in, in my mom, my mom's case, my, my sister handled all the money that was involved in everything. And she's in, as far as I can tell, she's been, you know, amazingly, um, uh, 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 yeah, very, very, very. Everything's very. You know, like she's always ready to be like, "Look, here's what this is. Here's what happened. Here's the. Here's this. So here's what I did with it. You know, more, more than fair. And and, and it's not like she's charging for it. Like, you know, in her opinion, she's like, "Well, you know, I have the time and I this and I that." And she was always, you know, great, uh, great there with my with my mother. Handled everything for like my mother couldn't have had a better representative. Um, but in, in a lot of people's case, 
cases i i see things you know people taking advantage of the situation um and and i even when i was in prison i saw guys that were in prison trying to figure out how to get like get their their you know my my their mother was sick or their dad was this and how do i get this and how do i get that and it was always like you know like bro what are you what are you doing you know what i'm saying like i mean or you know my or or even worse Either they're trying to figure out how to get the house out of their parents' name into their name because it's it's their inheritance. Like, oh yeah, both your parents are still alive. You know what are you doing? Or it's my my dad died, and I just found out that my sister a month later sold the house. Like, how is that possible? I'm like, well, is there a will? He's like, no. She's like, no, there was no will. Like, I even asked when he got sick. Like, well, is there? What does the will say? And it's like, well, how the how did they get the house out of your father's name into her name? Or I had somebody one time where a, a mother had died and the brothers, the siblings were trying to sell the house out from underneath like another sibling. You know, like there's all these different things that happen when 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 a parent dies and there's no clear um, there's no clear um, uh, instructions left. But, you know, the problem is, is that the court, if there's instructions and it's even if it, it none of it makes sense, they typically go with the instructions, even though it's so easy to alter the instructions. You know what I mean? Like, it's very easy. And they're like, well, we got a signed document. That's it. It's like, wait a second. This doesn't make sense. Like, look at what just happened. They don't, a lot of times they don't, they just don't want to look at it. They don't, you know, they don't, let's face it. The judge doesn't have a, a, a stake in it. He doesn't give it crap. And the people that are representing your family are other attorneys that he sees all the time. Well, in, in my mother's case, and I think this happens with everyone People will say, well, John, how did your mother get, why was this forged trust such a vehicle? And I think it worked like this. Uh, forged trust, if mother had taken, because like dad, the majority of dad's wealth was in his liquidity, meaning, um, you know, Fidelity, Charles Schwab. Um, he might have had a million dollars in cash, but in his mind, uh, cash isn't earning, right? Right. So he had stocks and bonds because that's earning and growing. So mother, the whole point, the whole reason why, and, and I think for her it was like, oh my god, I, you know, this was the game plan all along. And then he gets, he makes the turn, and he doesn't know where he is, and suddenly her, I, and I guarantee you, my sisters knew about it. But family fraud is not publicized. So the whole reason why this trust was so important was. She goes to Charles Schwab and she goes, hi, this is my husband's trust. You see, I'm the trustee. And they, you know, look at it. They send it, scan it and send it to their attorneys. Okay. Uh, yes. Uh, yes. All right. We see you're the 100% trustee. Yes. And now I would like you to transfer $10 million to this account. So the, tru the forged trust was everything. If she didn't have that, then she goes in with his trust and right away... His trust makes his bank right. the trustee, and they, and also if you, re, if you were to read his trust, his trust says anytime she wants to make a major purchase, she has to go to the bank, and they can say no. Right. And I think for 15 years, for whatever reason, it just graded on her. You know, any other 
wife of 47 years would say, okay, I, I, I don't agree with it, but, you know, uh, till death do us part, I'm going to follow his wishes because after all, he is giving me $15 million. Right. Right? And for whatever reason, it had to have been like, oh, 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 I put up with his, you know, blah, 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 blah. And he only gives me half, $15 million. Right. And now, granted, for the last 10 years, she spent 250 grand a year. Two two and a half million in ten years. He gave her six times that, and it wasn't enough. And this is the subtlety. What I would hope, you know, if there were a movie, if there were, you know, someone listening, and they're like, "Oh, this would make a great news story." This happens everywhere. That's why I put the AARP article saying family fraud is so common in the foreword of the book. You know, if this story gets out there, um. That would be the justice. Because, look, I, I know I'm going to lose the lawsuit. Big, you know, stolen money beats honest money. And, you know, at at most, I'm going to pot shot, you know. But if there was interest and if people show up in the gallery, you know, look, I'm going to make a spectacle of myself. The, the first shirt is three lies. The new shirt has seven. Uh, the first baby has three lies. The new shirt has uh, Pinocchio on it. And I think if people look, I am mocking him, of course, but it's based in truth. Right. right? And then of course, can you imagine I wear this shirt and the judge says, you need to take it off. No, I'm not taking it off. Can you imagine, you know, my rights under the first amendment being, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a slippery slope for the judge. Yeah, you can't, you can't. Yeah, this is a protest. Yeah, I, and I have the I have the right to do it. I, hey, he can sue me, but look, I'm here because I wore a shirt. He said this. It's a lie. Right. No matter how you slice it, and look, it's not just one lie. It's forty of them. Right. Yeah. Also, the bar has rules that says. Uh, a lawyer shall not knowingly make a false statement. I complained to the bar and they said, oh, well, you're going through a case. We can't intervene. Mm -hmm. eh? If the bar doesn't enforce their own rules, I even complained to the chief judge. So I plan to call the chief judge as a witness in the defamation case. <laughs> They're going to love that. I'm going to subpoena him <laughs> to say, okay, all right, you have these standards, right? You have blah, blah, blah. And uh, so you don't want an attorney to lie. Okay, so... Did you get my complaint? Is this the complaint? Is this your answer that says you're not even going to look into it? Right. What's the point of having standard? And the whole point is squeaky wheel gets the oil. If I make a big enough pain in the ass of myself, maybe, I mean, wouldn't it be crazy if Kenny Kemp, if some authority said, that's a goddamn lie. You know, consequences. So I'm probably not going to win anything. I'm probably going to lose, but I just want to go the distance like Rocky. Nice. All right. Um, let's, let's wrap it up there. Is that good? Uh, the final thing I would say is uh, you ought to do a plug for the free download. Oh yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. 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 Well, well you get a free, so you let's hold up the book. So yeah. I've got, how, how did they, how did they get it? This oh. camera? Okay. Yeah. This camera. So if you want a free download of the book, what you do is you go to the link below in the description box and you click on the link. It will bring you to uh, Family Feud 
dot dot net family family feud dot family fraud feud (laughs) family fraud dot net which is the link just click on the link and if you go on the site my logo is on the site you can click my logo and you go and fill out the information and you get a free download for the book family feud Fraud. Fuck off. Fuck. You know what's Did funny I just about say it again? Family. You get a free you get a free download of family fraud. Here, if if it's any consolation. And by the way, I you know, look, I'm a total amateur. I designed the cover myself. Yeah. Uh, but I love family fraud. The fraud there's actually a font that is spelled out in money. Okay. Yeah. So fraud is is in hundred dollar bills. Yeah. I, I don't know what the font is. Um, also, can you see my, can you see the hangman? Can you read the words? The hangman? On my shirt. Oh my God, bro. What are you two? Uh, I see the end is, is, oh, is it screwed? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So th- that was not, I was wearing a blue shirt, but I just thought. Did you put that on there? Uh, oh, see, I was going to say, not, yeah, you, not at the time, but no, when no. I was designing the cover, I thought it was really fitting. You know, the missing letter is E. Yeah. Yeah. And so, look, I, I want the average reader to, to think three things. Number one, there is no effing way this is true. Right. And my currency is truth. All the names, look, I, I name all my mother's dishonest attorneys. I name all her incompetent accountants. Um, I name my sister's. Uh, at the end of the book, so number one, my currency is truth. Number two, um, and by the way, I don't know if you noticed, a penny fell out of the the book. So there is uh, there is a story in there that's the God's honest truth. It, it's called Dad's Pennies. I think it's on page 12 or 13. So after Dad died, this penny fell out of this section. Uh, the ebook, you'll be robbed of this. Uh, the, the paperback has the penny in it. But there's a story that all of us kids experienced right after dad died. We would find pennies in the oddest places. So my little story was I was driving down to West Palm Beach for storm stop, like a storm stopper delivery or something. And I got a flat tire. My right front tire went flat. I pull into a service station and I bring the guy out. And there, sitting on top of the tire, is a goddamn penny. Right. It made no sense. How'd the penny get there? And when I told it to my family, because I was then in contact with them, they said, oh, that's one of dad's pennies. And it was, when we talk about dad's pennies, we would find penny, even now, when I see a penny, I'm like, oh, hey, dad, nice to see you. Right. It's it's. It was thought and suggested that, you know, spiritual, you know, dad is yeah, yeah. showing his presence. So that's, uh, that, that's in, the, in the book. So look, I wrote it out of love, a little bit of anger, and I hope three things. Someone reads it and says, there's no way it's true. Number two, they laugh. There's right. a fair amount of humor. And number three, they learn something or some things. And they say... Wow, he has a lot of great ideas on how to protect a family member that's vulnerable, that may be non-obvious. Okay. So. All right. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. No, thank you. I appreciate you making the drive. Um, So, 
If you like the video, do me a favor, hit the subscribe button, hit the bell so you get notified of videos just like this, share the video, leave a comment, and go to the description and get a free copy of the book, Family Fraud, Family Fraud, and um, I appreciate you guys watching. See you.